Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel with Marcus Parks. Hi, hi. So exciting news. We're getting some, what do we call it? Advertising, not, right? Not products. Not products. <laughs> uh, but we are going to get some advertising. And in order to help us out, it would be awesome if you could click the link uh, in the description of this episode. Fill out a little survey so we know what, we, so we know what you want, uh, so the advertisements uh, can actually be worthwhile and not drive you completely insane. And the information is confidential. We don't take emails or names or anything. You're not going to get on any kind of weird list or anything like that. Yeah. It just helps us out. Awesome. Thank you all so much. Hail yourselves and enjoy this episode. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel here with you. Uh, I had a chance to do some serious XM Channel 450 Fox News Radio last week. So enjoy this show. Thanks so much for listening. Hail yourselves. Yo, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here with you. Happy hump day. What a crazy day it's been. Paul Ryan is gone. I'm wearing my Brett Favre shirt. Got to rep my home state of Wisconsin. Everything with Brett Favre is forgiven. Of course, he went to play with the Vikings, the Jets. A small little scandal happened when he was with the Jets that we're not going to get into. But I'm wearing my Favre shirt in honor of Paul Ryan. Who knows what this means uh, going forward for the Republican Party. A lot of Republicans seem to be getting the heck out of Dodge. So we'll talk about that. We also want to talk a little bit about Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, On that note, you can go to Facebook and watch this show streaming live. I will probably trash Facebook quite a bit. He was on Capitol Hill testifying in front of a bunch of really old people. Uh, Orrin Hatch, as a matter of fact, asked him, of course the senator, asked Zuckerberg, so how does Facebook make money? Advertising. Uh, it's, it's extremely simple. It was like watching Zuckerberg at the dinner table with his grandparents in South Florida just trying to tell them what he's up to. It was hilarious uh, to watch. Ten hours yesterday, uh, the Zuck sat there and got grilled. Ted Cruz, a little grandstanding, but I want to hear your thoughts on that. Do you think there is a liberal bias uh, when it comes to Facebook? We'll get into all of that kind of stuff. Of course, Ted Cruz asking him uh, about that question, being like, you know, Silicon Valley, it's full of a bunch of liberals, and they're trying to silence Uh, The conservatives on their platform, I'm not sure if I'm completely sold on that, to be frank, because I go on Facebook, I see quite a few memes that aren't exactly liberal, uh, and I hear a lot of conversations that wouldn't necessarily pass as anti-Trump. I hear a lot of very pro-Trump arguments being made and see a lot of pro-Trump arguments being made on on, uh, Facebook, but nonetheless, it is definitely worth a conversation, and I think the big issue with 
Facebook is, individuals didn't realize how much of their information was being shared. But I also understand Zuckerberg's point where he's like, if you don't give it to us, we don't have it. So there'll be a lot to unwrap uh, when it comes to that. Also, is it just a total and complete waste of time? We can also uh, get into that. I also want to talk a little bit about SESTA-FOSTA. It is an act that was pushed forward by Kamala Harris and Blumenthal, both Democrats. Uh, Its intent was to stop sex trafficking. Uh, However, there is an unintended consequence that would really hurt sex workers. So I'm going to have a sex worker on the show uh, speak with her about how SESTA-FOSTA is going to harm her, harm her industry, and perhaps put lives at risk. So we want to protect folks out there. Um, and I'll tell you this, I had a, uh, on my political podcast, Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, I had a sex worker on. Uh, he knows some folks in Washington, D.C. Uh, there is a list, ladies and gentlemen. There is a long list of representatives who voted for SESTA-FOSTA eh, that might have used the services of a sex worker a time or two. We'll see if that list is ever released. But let's get back to Paul Ryan here. This is Paul Ryan talking about uh, his experience as Speaker of the House, a job, a position that he did not want. Of course, it seems like a position that is a lose, 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 lose at all turns. And it's so stressful. Former Speaker of the House John Boehner is now currently working with cannabis. He's working in the cannabis marijuana field because as soon as he was done being speaker, he's like, I need a joint. All right, here's Paul Ryan. You realize something when you take this job. It's a big job with a lot riding on you and you feel it. Uh, But you also know that this is a job that does not last forever. Uh, You realize that you hold the office for just a small part of our history. So you better make the most of it. It's fleeting. And that inspires you to do big things. And on that score... I think we have achieved a heck of a lot. 877-367-2526. 877-367-2526. Call in. I want to hear your thoughts on this. What do you think this means for the Republican Party? Of course, uh, we have some more sound we'll play here from Paul Ryan. He's talking about how he really wants to spend time with his children, uh, which is a valid reason. Is that the only reason? Uh, who the heck knows? Certainly when it comes to style. When it comes to character, he and Donald Trump are about as opposite as you can get. Paul Ryan, of course, a good Wisconsin boy, and Donald Trump, a man who navigated the extremely muddy waters of real estate in New York City and Atlantic City. So definitely different characters. You wonder if Paul Ryan, uh, with the combination of wanting to see his children uh, and uh, the Uh, discord in Washington right now, the discourse in Washington being so vile on so many levels, and uh, maybe he feels as if he's accomplished everything that he set out to do. Here's Paul Ryan. Uh, To be clear, I am not resigning. I intend to full my served term as I was elected to do, Uh, but I will be retiring in January, leaving this majority in good hands with what I believe is a very bright future. And who knows who will be the next Speaker of the House. Again, not a job that anybody seems to be biting uh, at the bit to get. John Boehner, going back really quick, John Boehner is heading for the boardroom of a cannabis company. The former Speaker of the House announced this today. He said in a tweet, I'm joining the board of Acreage Holding because my thinking on cannabis has evolved. 
The Ohio Republican tweeted, I'm convinced descheduling the drug is needed so we can do research, help our veterans, and reverse the opioid epidemic ravaging our communities. So again, the last Speaker of the House before Paul Ryan, his predecessor, um, is was so stressed out by the job he's gone to weed. Here's Paul Ryan. My kids weren't even born when I was first elected. Our oldest was 13 years old when I became speaker. Uh, now all three of our kids are teenagers. And one thing I've learned about teenagers is um, their idea of an ideal weekend is not necessarily to spend all of their time with their parents. <laughs> uh, what I realize is if I am here for one more term, my kids will only have <clears throat> ever known me as a weekend dad. Uh, I just can't let that happen. You know, a lot, a lot of people, we don't really think about what the family toll is on individuals who work in Washington. And I'm not trying to, you know, be like, oh, woe is them and all that kind of stuff. They have a lot of power. It's a great position. There's a lot of uh, clout that goes with it. I had, I had a chance to speak with Jason Chaffetz, who is now a Fox News uh, contributor, and uh, he was discussing how family is important. And when politicians say that they want to spend more time with their kids— they're telling the truth because that's exactly what he said. And he said, you're five days in Washington. You're only out on the weekends. It's a total nightmare. I want to get Christine here because uh, Christine, our producer here on the show, because, of course, she has a child, a beautiful child uh, who is unbelievable. And you're, you do like the cutest thing of all time with your kid uh, on the speakerphone before she goes to sleep. But what do you think? Do you give a lot of uh, credence here to Paul Ryan? Do you think it's the kids that he wants to see? I 100 percent believe him. I, I watched it this morning, and yeah. I'm like, that is hot. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he, he does do the P90X. Yes, he does. But yes, no, I mean, does. that is such a stand-up thing. Like, he is putting aside everything for his children because he's right. He said that his children are, what, almost teenagers or going to be teenagers? Going to be teenagers, or they are because he says— And he says, doesn't want to yeah. be a weekend father. These men are, you know, preaching about life and, you know, what's right and what's wrong right. and stuff. And then he's probably not around for his own children. So sure. everything inside of me— I know I turned on CNN after that, and even they were saying, yeah, yeah, he's probably telling the truth. Right, You right. know, like, we believe him, and good for him. Well, do I you applaud think, him. Do you think the tenor of Washington right now is also one of the reasons, kind of a two-prong effect, where he looks at his kids, he's like, I don't want to go back to Washington, D.C., because that's where the real children are. I want to be right here in my actual home with the adults. Well, yeah, that's probably too. Um, I always wonder about this, though. You know, like, a lot of um, senators and Congress people, why don't they— Move their family to D.C. with them. Oh, my goodness. The school system uh, yeah. alone, you know, and you can't uproot your whole family for a job that you might not have in two or four years, depending, of course, on how the election goes. I'm also going to uh, cover here what Nancy Pelosi uh, has been talking about regarding Paul Ryan stepping down. She says this is more evidence of the blue wave. But we'll get to that a little bit later on in this hour. I want to continue on playing a clip here of Paul Ryan. I gave it some consideration, but I really do not believe whether I stay or go in 2019 is going to affect a person's individual race for Congress. I really don't think a person's race for Congress is going to hinge on whether Paul Ryan's speaker or not. Paul Ryan there talking uh, again, breaking news today. I didn't see it coming. I mean, I knew he didn't love his current position as Speaker of the House. He didn't want to be Speaker of the House in the first place. And again, because of what we've seen, the gridlock to steal the term from General Stockdale, the running mate of Ross Perot, if you get a chance, 1992, the VP debates between Al Gore and, uh, and Stockdale 
is just absolutely phenomenal. And, of course, who was the other guy there, the uh, the guy who couldn't spell potato? Dan Quayle. That debate is, like, absolutely hilarious. General Stockdale starts by saying, who am I? Why am I here? But then you actually think he was truly asking that question. Um, all right, let's go to Madison, Wisconsin. We're going to stick in Wisconsin here. Matt is on the phone. Matt, what do you think about Paul Ryan stepping down in January? Well, I think it's a good thing for the country, and I think he cares about his kids about as much as Donald Trump cares about monogamy in his marriage. <laughs> the fact that uh, Ryan is a pathological liar that's well, been proven that's, in his campaign. Well, uh, yeah, well, okay, Matt, let's go back because uh, obviously you're in Wisconsin, so you get inundated, uh, inundated with the campaign rhetoric. What are what's what are some of the things you saw in his ads where you're like, no, that doesn't add up to the truth. Uh, Oh, well, uh, well, anything where he claimed to care about the deficit, then Ugh. voted for something that had $1.9 trillion to the deficit. Yeah. How about the fact that he claimed he wasn't going to touch Social Security and Medicare until after he just added $1.9 trillion and now says, oh, well, we're going to have to look at making sure grandma doesn't have access to Social Security and yeah. Medicare. He He's retiring at 48, but he wants me to work till 84. Right, right. That's what it comes down to. I hear he's you, a liar. Brother. Yeah, I hear yeah, you. And I'll tell you one thing. We're going to be in a huge, I think, it, what was it, $170 trillion, something like that. I'll get that actual number uh, coming up here in the very near future. The tax breaks for the corporations are permanent, but they're not for the middle class. And it's going to be us uh, that try to bail this economy out. And uh, absolutely, I completely agree with you. So you don't, you're, you're not buying it, Matt. You're not buying the reason. Uh, I, I don't trust him any more than I trust uh, the politicians that get caught cheating uh, that all of a sudden feel a need to go spend time with their family. If he thought <laughs> yeah. he, there was a chance he would win and stay a speaker, he would do it. Right. He'd do it, it in a heartbeat. Have you seen uh, a lot of response to this Randy Bryce character? They call him Iron Stash on Twitter. Has he been resonating with the folks that you've seen? Oh, I think he's got a very good chance. Uh, I, I think... Uh, from a po- strictly poli sci standpoint, mm-hmm. I'd say, you know, I mean, he's got he's got uh, wind in his face strictly since you know, given the name recognition, of course. He, he was going to be, you know, and I would have put him at somewhere in the neighborhood of forty forty five percent chance of winning, which is about as good as you can yep. get against an incumbent member of Congress. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate the call. I had a chance to interview my former college professor, my political science professor, and that's what he said. He said it'll be an uphill battle, but um, it's possible. And certainly now with the breaking news, the new information that's come to light, Paul Ryan will not seek re-election. We'll get into this further. I am Ben Kissel. This is Fox News Talk. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel back here with you. Hope you're having a fine Wednesday. I mentioned the uh, deficit before the break. The federal government's annual budget deficit is set to widen significantly in the next few years and is expected to top one trillion bucks in 2020. Is that the legacy of Paul Ryan? He has now said he will not run for re-election, citing the desire to spend more time with his family. What do you think? Let's go to Lake Bluff, Illinois. Adam is on the line. Adam, uh, do you believe Paul Ryan or not? No, uh, Ben, I really don't believe him. It might be partially a little bit true. Uh But here's the thing. I mean, you're from Wisconsin. You probably know more. But my feeling is, well, didn't he... Didn't he start from humble beginnings? I believe that's part of his narrative, yeah. Right. So 
Where do you amass all this money that he can retire at that age? Well, I would assume he's probably going to go into the private sector, take a cushy job. Maybe he goes into the weed business like John Boehner. (laughs) The original Agent Orange. Exactly. I remember that. When he was the orange one in Washington, uh, things have certainly changed. He got eclipsed. Yes, he did. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, yeah, no, uh, and there's always something about him, the way he talks. I get a little feeling like he's not telling things straight all the time, like there, there's something going on. Plus, you know, he ran with Romney. Yeah. Uh, Romney was his buddy. Uh, I don't know how, you know, the he's just part of the swamp, too. Well, you know, swamp. I, I thought that Romney ticket, obviously, it did not do as well as it could have. Um, a lot of folks really demonized that ticket. It was a difficult race. He mentioned on CNN, as a matter of fact, that that was probably the lowest point of his entire political career. And, of course, that makes sense. You go from being possibly the most powerful uh, or second most powerful person in the country to Speaker of the House, which obviously, again, wrangling cats, nobody wants to do it. Well, you know, Romney petered out at yeah. the end there. Do you uh, think he's going to run for Senate? You think Paul Ryan has the Senate in, uh, in his sights? Yes, I do. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. Right. He's going to take a little bit of time off and and see what happens with Trump because some things are going to have to come to a head in the next year for sure. Absolutely. With with the elections coming up, the Democrats are going to force it. The midterms. Yeah, we'll get into that at the other end of the break. Adam, appreciate the call, brother. I want to play a clip here of Meghan McCain. Now, she is, of course, the daughter of John McCain. Breaking news right here on Fox News. Uh, But she defends Paul Ryan here in this clip. He just gave a press conference saying he wants to spend more time with his family. Uh I believe him to a point. I also think he doesn't want to deal with this anymore. He doesn't want to go home to his constituents in Wisconsin Uh and try and explain some of the tweeting, some of the more incendiary Mm -hmm. things that President Trump is doing right now. And this is the bloodletting of classic conservatives and the people that are cheering. Do you know what comes in its place? Trumpism. Right. And I assume if you don't like Paul Ryan, you probably hate Trump more. So maybe don't cheer when people like Paul Ryan and Mitt Romney and Trey Gowdy and people like Ben Sass, who are, thank God, still in office, are maybe on their way out. Because I assure you, what's in its place, you will like a lot Isn't less. He a f- well, that's an interesting uh, argument as well, coming from Meghan McCain. And my friend Cena John, uh, a left-leaning guy, uh, tweeted that very similar sentiment where it's like, hey, if you're on the left and you're thrilled that Paul Ryan is gone, well, you shouldn't be because at the very least he was moderate on certain things uh, when it comes to immigration or, uh, you know, certain certain social issues, not exactly a fan or a full subscriber to Trumpism. Uh, just going back real quick to the national debt, this is this is his legacy. The national debt, which has exceeded $21 trillion, will soar to more than $33 trillion. In 2028, that is, of course, according to the Congressional Budget Office. All right, everyone, this is Fox News Talk. I am Ben Kissel. We'll take a quick break and be right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel back here with you. Hope you're having a fine hump day. Uh, You can watch this show streaming live on Facebook. We're about to talk about Facebook here uh, for a little while. Watch the show streaming. Just search Fox News Radio. And you'll see my face right there for you. I'm wearing my Brett Favre shirt in honor of Paul Ryan. Again, Paul Ryan will not be seeking re-election in January. Uh, he will be done in January. All right, let's get to this uh, testimony uh, from Mark Zuckerberg. Of course, he's under oath. He wore a suit. 
looked really nice in front of all those elderly folks. And I got to say, when we talk about how, how old is Congress, well, you really get a sense of their age uh, when you hear them asking questions to Mark Zuckerberg uh, about Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg also, this was kind of interesting, he revealed that, remember that Cambridge Analytica scandal? It just happened here. He, uh, his information was also leaked. He was one of the 80, uh, 87 million people who had his data harvested through a quiz app. This is Mark Zuckerberg talking about that. And uh, was your out, data included in the data sold to the malicious third parties? Your personal data? Yes. It was. Are you willing to change your business model in the interest of protecting individual privacy? Congresswoman, we are, have made and are continuing to make changes to reduce the amount of no, data. Are you willing to change your business model in the interest of protecting individual privacy? Congresswoman, I'm not sure what that means. Well, I'll follow up with you on it. <laughs> it was a lot of that. A lot of uh, that. Some takeaways. Uh, Facebook made its clearest endorsement yet of bringing European privacy protections uh, to people around the world. Uh, Facebook has offered mixed messages over the past week on whether it would abide by Europe's general data privacy regulation. Uh, this is according to uh, Representative Janice Schakowsky. That's a very Midwest name. Schakowsky rolls right off the tongue for me. She's a Democrat out of Illinois. She asked, uh, the GDPR has a bunch of different important pieces. Uh, she goes on to say, one is offering controls over that we're doing. The second is around pushing for affirmative consent and putting a control in front of people uh, that walks people through their choices. Where we are going to do that, too, we are going to put a tool at the top of people's apps that walks them through their settings. And I got to say, I am extremely confused by Facebook. That's why I just deleted the app, 877-367-2526. That's 877-367-2526. I was going through trying to figure out my privacy settings. I had no idea what the heck was happening. They kept on changing the platform on me to the point where I said, you know what, Facebook, I am done. I don't care to see people's pictures of their breakfast their lunch and their dinner. I don't particularly care to see pictures of their children, albeit I'm sure your children are very cute. Nonetheless, there was no need for me to be on Facebook any longer, and we're seeing that movement. There is a get-off-of-Facebook movement that I think has a lot of traction, specifically in light of this Cambridge Analytica scandal breaking, that scandal, that news uh, breaking. And also, I don't think that folks really understood what Facebook was doing. They make money off of you. They make money off of what you like. They make money off of who you are as a person. I was on Tom Shalhoub's show a little bit earlier tonight, uh, this evening, and I equated it to the Matrix. Of course, we referenced the Matrix, the children uh, who are used as human batteries. They're sort of in their wombs, in those bizarre catacombs, used to fuel, uh, you know, um, uh, the technology and all that kind of stuff, that's exactly what people are to Facebook, although uh, it's not so much utilizing us as a battery. It's taking all of our information. It's taking who we are as people. They create a fingerprint. They create an identity for you, and I'm sure it's fairly accurate, uh, and they use that to then market to you, to manipulate you, uh, to uh, you know try to uh, really control every aspect of your life. I got off of Facebook, and now I receive emails 
emails on a daily basis and they say, lazy, you haven't checked Facebook in a while. And I say, I'm not lazy. That's why I haven't been able to make it onto Facebook. I'm happy now that people seem to understand how much uh, their privacy is infringed on when they do post all of this stuff on Facebook. I, I think that Zuckerberg should have been much more honest uh, and upfront with what they do as a company, with who they are as an entity. They make money off of advertising, They uh, and in order to advertise to you and make that money, they understand who you are, they compile all this information. And that is why when you search something random, you end up seeing a T-shirt uh, that is in reference to that thing that you've searched or perhaps a vacation, whatever it might be. Here's a montage of Zuckerberg. Uh, again, his testimony uh, in, in front of Congress under oath. If you'd like, I can have my team follow up with you after this. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to have my team follow up with you on more information if that would be helpful. <clears throat> Senator, I have not heard that. Mr. Chairman, I, I will have my team follow up with you on what information we have. Senator, I don't know. Um, I do not know. We can follow up. Okay. I can certainly have my team get back to you on any specifics there that I don't know sitting here today. I, I'm not familiar with those specific uh, cases. Will you, will you find out the answer and get back to <laughs> I'll have my team get back to you. 877-367-2526, 877-367-2526. Are you now going to delete your Facebook? Again, it, you can't even really delete it. You deactivate it. And anytime you sign back in, it just puts you back. It, it takes your page uh, as if nothing even happened. It, it's almost impossible to actually erase, to delete Everything that you've put on there. And because of that, uh, even if you deactivate, it can still be mined, as we learned in that Cambridge Analytica scandal. Let's go on, play another uh, clip of Mark Zuckerberg. Mr. Zuckerberg, would you be comfortable sharing with us the name of the hotel you stayed in last night? Uh, no. <laughs> if you've messaged anybody this week, would you share with us the names of the people you've messaged? Uh, Senator, no, I would probably not choose to do that publicly here. I think that may be what this is all about. Your right to privacy, the limits of your right to privacy, and how much you give away in modern America in the name of, quote, connecting people around the world. All right, now let's play a clip from John Kennedy. I thought that this was one of the more interesting exchanges. I'm not sure if there's a question here, but uh, he is, uh, I think, channeling a lot of the anger, a lot of the rage uh, that folks have regarding the user agreement. You try to read that dang thing, you got to have a law degree to make it through. I mean, who actually has anyone ever actually read any of these user agreements, whether it be with your Apple product, with Twitter, with Facebook, Instagram, who reads the dang stuff? No one. 877-367-2526. Are you going to get off of Facebook or do you think that folks should recognize when they put something on a public site like Facebook, hey, of course, you've now made it public. You've lost all rights to it. They can do whatever the heck they want with it. This is John Kennedy. I say this gently. Your user agreement sucks. <laughs> the purpose of that user agreement is to cover Facebook's rear end. It's not to inform your users about their rights. <clears throat> now, you know that, and I know that. I'm going to suggest to you that you go back home and rewrite it. 
John Kennedy, of course, he is a uh, he's out of Louisiana. He's a senator, 66 years old. And I got to say, he was dead on when it comes to their user agreement. It sucks. Uh, you don't necessarily hear that too much at one of these Senate hearings. But nonetheless, that's the amount of anger that people feel when it comes to Facebook. And you get the feeling if you got if you finally get to scream at Mark Zuckerberg's face, you finally get the opportunity to yell at this person who has been the bane of your existence, who has been one of the thorns in your side for so long, that's got to be a pretty fun feeling. Here's Mark Zuckerberg. Are you willing to uh, go back and, and, and work on, on giving me a greater right to erase my data? Senator, you can already delete any of the you data cannot. that's there or are, delete are all of your data. Are you willing to expand that, work on expanding that? Senator, I think we already do what you're referring to, but certainly we're always working on trying to make these controls easier. Uh, are, are you willing to... Uh, expand my right to prohibit you from sharing my data. Senator, again, I believe that you already have that control. So, I mean, I think people have that, mm -mm. that full control in the system already today. I, I don't know. You don't. You cannot delete it. It's a it's a lie uh, that Mark Zuckerberg just said, or perhaps I haven't seen the delete button, but that would be a testament. That would be another indication that it's just entirely too difficult to navigate uh, this website. Now, of course, there's no constitutional right to Facebook. You don't have to be on it. But they did prey on a lot of people in this society, older individuals and younger individuals, both of whom might not understand what Facebook actually does and how they actually make their money. It's you. It's your information. It's basically stealing your identity, putting it into a machine and um, uh, and uh, creating, again, a profile so they know exactly what you want. They know exactly who you are and they know exactly where you are. They also track you. If you don't go through the setting properly, if you don't go through uh, the settings list properly and you don't deactivate tracking, why even have it as an option? Here's Ted Cruz. Now, uh, these events are often used for grandstanding, and Ted Cruz definitely had that opportunity, and he took it. Uh, he's talking about uh, conservatives and Facebook, and I, you know, I'm not 100% sold on this idea that there is a massive bias, but 877-367-2526, 877-367-2526, I want to hear your thoughts on that. Here is Ted Cruz grilling Mark Zuckerberg, and I suppose we can probably just take this to break. Facebook has initially shut down the Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day page, has blocked a post of a Fox News reporter, and most recently blocked Trump supporters Diamond and Silk's page with 1.2 million Facebook followers after determining their content and brand were, quote, unsafe to the community. To a great many Americans, that appears to be a pervasive pattern of political bias. I understand where that concern is coming from because Facebook and the tech industry are located in Silicon Valley, which is an extremely left-leaning place. And uh, I, this is actually a concern that I have and that I try to root out in the company is making sure that we don't have any bias in the work that we do. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel back here with you. We're discussing Mark Zuckerberg. He was in front of Congress these past couple of days. Uh, answered a lot of questions. Got yelled at a whole bunch. 
not envious of the position. It doesn't seem like a fun thing to do to get yelled at by some geriatrics and then some people who are younger, which is very nice. We're going to be joined by Peter Ducey coming up here around 735. He's a correspondent for the Fox News Channel, but you know him. You know and love Peter Ducey. And we will do another deep dive into what we found out regarding Facebook, uh, their antics, and specifically their settings. Representative Frank Pallone, and this fellow's a Democrat out of New Jersey, he asked Mark Zuckerberg whether he was willing to change Facebook's default settings. See, that's the thing. They make it so you have to change it. Their default settings are as predatory as they can possibly be. And that is nefarious. And that is on purpose because they know either folks don't want to take the time, they don't have the time, or perhaps they don't have the know-how to change this relatively complex uh, series of settings. So Facebook's default settings to minimize the amount of data the company collects from users. So Frank Pallone is like, yo, are you going to change the default settings so we have a little bit more privacy? Zuckerberg answered that question by saying, this is a complex issue that deserves more than a one-word answer. Give it then. You have the opportunity to give more than a one-word answer. That answer was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 words to say that it requires more than a one-word answer. You could have used those 13 words to give that answer. Pallone responded to that by saying, well, that's disappointing to me. Absolutely. They're default settings, folks. And if you're on Facebook right now, again, you can watch us streaming live there. Uh, A little plug as well. Fox News Radio, watch the show live. Make sure you go to your settings and uh, try to get as much privacy as possible. And hopefully going forward here as well. Uh, Again, in the wake of the Cambridge Analytica scandal where Zuckerberg had his info stolen as well, 87 million folks did. I think folks are more understanding now or more in the know when it comes to how much of their information is spread globally. I mean, all around the world, you can steal, you can, uh, and and, you know, that's a treasure trove for folks who are going to steal your identity, who uh, perhaps... Um, want to find a way to access your finances. Uh, you know, it really is extremely dangerous to have too much information out there on social media. And you got to be careful as well for a lot of these advertisements that you see on Facebook, maybe a law firm or something like that. Hey, fill out this quick survey and you're going to get uh, something for free. The thing you get for free is going to be, you know, worse than one of those things you get from a claw machine at a Ponderosa or a Perkins um, or uh, any other restaurant that you want to reference in your mind. It's all garbage. And really what they want is that prize, that gold, that precious to uh, steal Gollum's term for the ring. They want your information. That's how they get all of their power. That's how they get uh, all of their um, data. And they monetize that data. And hopefully now folks are waking up a little bit and realizing they are the fuel that feeds a lot of these horrible institutions, a lot of these horrible corporations that are simply trying to take your information, use it to their own advantage, unbeknownst to us. And that's the problem. Again, their default settings. Representative Anna Eshoo, she's a Democrat out of California, asked Zuckerberg whether he was willing to change Facebook's business model to make user privacy paramount. And Zuckerberg said this. He said, quote, is not sure what that means. 
The man, the man who we consider to be a brilliant mind, the man worth $66 billion, is not sure what it means to have privacy be paramount on his website. Uh, it's such a dodge. It's ridiculous. Uh, going back to the Matrix, he was doing a cerebral Neo. Uh, of course, when Neo had all the bullets flying at him, he does. He bends over backwards like a gymnast, uh, slow motion. I mean, he was really doing some mental uh, uh, acrobatic skill there. He had some mental ac uh, acrobatic skill when it came to dodging uh, these questions. All eyes were on Zuckerberg, two other stars, uh, Diamond and Silk, of course. There's the conversation that they were, um, they were banned uh, from Facebook because of a conservative bias. We'll get into all of that. Coming up, stick around. Peter Ducey will be joining me. Can't wait to talk to him. Correspondent for the Fox News Channel. I'm Ben Kissel. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel back here with you. My goodness, what a crazy week it's been in Washington, D.C. Joining me now to talk about it uh, is Fox News correspondent Peter Ducey. Thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me, Ben. Absolutely. So uh, let's start with Mark Zuckerberg. He was getting grilled. Uh, those folks uh, that were grilling him, Orrin Hatch, for example, they seemed a little clueless on what Facebook was, huh? Right. Well, a lot of lawmakers basically had to endure two days of Mark Zuckerberg explaining <laughs> how Facebook works and how they make money. And he never really said, you know, we're going to stop tracking people right. for ads or we're going to stop tracking people for security. And there really wasn't anything that these lawmakers were coming back with. And what was remarkable to me sitting there uh, watching all these lawmakers try to get their shots in at Zuckerberg right. was – they all have Facebook pages that they use to reach out to constituents or to campaign. And so uh, there were very few punches landed in terms of the technical aspects, really, where they got him. It seemed like was uh, when they confronted him with allegations of bias against conservatives. Well, let's get into that because I, I uh, referenced that a little bit before the break. Obviously, um, that was exactly what Ted Cruz was talking about uh, with Mark Zuckerberg. Were you surprised with Zuckerberg's answer? He says basically, yeah, we're in Silicon Valley. It's uh, mostly left-leaning folks. Uh, there probably is a liberal bias. Were you surprised by that answer? I, nothing surprises me anymore, uh, walking around the Capitol anymore, Ben. But, yeah. look, that was one of the many things that Zuckerberg said. I will have my team get back to you on that. And right. so it sounds like his team is going to be very busy over the next couple of days because many, many different things that were uncomfortable or very technical he did say that he was going to have to get back when the cameras weren't rolling. Yeah, absolutely. And what was the mood like in the room? You were there. Uh, was it as tense as it looked to be on camera? I would say it was tense at times. Yeah. And Zuckerberg, you could tell, uh, you know, he came very prepared and many lawmakers came very prepared. But, you know, they were trying to nail Zuckerberg as this person who was reckless with 87 million people, mm -hmm. personal information. But then he revealed today that he's one of them. Right. His data was scooped up by this political consulting firm and then used for their profit. So it was uh, a lot of lawmakers seemed like they were frustrated that they were not getting more out of him. Right. And he certainly drew both inside the hearing rooms and outside as big a crowd 
as anybody. And I would say in the hallways, hmm. probably the biggest crowd that I've seen there since Prince Harry was on Capitol Hill a few years ago. But well, you know, I've always I've crowd. always said Mark Zuckerberg is our Prince Harry, and what a lucky people <laughs> we are. <laughs> so, what do you what, what are your thoughts going back to the bias question? And then I want to talk to you a little bit about Paul Ryan because that was kind of a bombshell earlier today uh, with him not gonna uh, not seeking a re-election. Uh, when it comes to the conservative bias, do you believe that there is uh, a liberal bias when it comes to Facebook? Or uh, what are your thoughts on that? These lawmakers today, including Steve Scalise, who might replace Paul Ryan as mm-hmm. a speaker someday, I had graphics where they were showing that they think there is conservative content that gets flagged as abusive or flagged as inappropriate at a higher rate than liberal-leaning content. Sure. But that really wasn't the – it seems like this is a situation where both sides had graphics and they were making their arguments. Uh, but the bigger focus was just content coming from Russia and right. which accounts might not be real as opposed to the bias. Uh, but right. Zuckerberg really did not have – you know, he said that he was unaware of this controversy where Diamond and Silk, the pro-Trump face, famous Facebook account yeah. uh, owners – uh, he says that he didn't know that their content was flagged as inappropriate because it happened while he was already in Washington getting ready for this hearing. But it hmm. seems like it was something else that he chalked up to, uh, and he used this answer many, many times. He said, well, you know, this isn't something that I was thinking about when I was creating Facebook in my dorm room at Harvard. Right. And we know what he was thinking makers. about when he was creating Facebook, and I don't think we can talk about it here on the show. He talked about it. He, he admitted <laughs> that it was uh, about girls in college. Yep. So when it comes to uh, just just to wrap that whole thing up, when it comes to the Russia situation, I believe it was one hundred and fifty thousand bucks worth of ads. These bots um, that that bought some of these bots. Uh, there's a scientific study out there that proves humans are the ones who disseminate most misinformation. Uh, false news is seen ten times more than real news because real news is boring, and false news plays into confirmation bias uh, and is exciting and salacious. When it comes to Zuckerberg, do you think that he had any um, – do you think he feels any guilt or responsibility regarding what the Russians were able to do? He says that he feels responsibility, and he says that they're deploying this new kind of AI technology to try to find fake news or find the accounts belonging to people who might want to interfere with the elections. But he also admitted as long as there are people who want to interfere with an election or right. put out propaganda, they're going to – be able to do it it's just up to facebook to figure out how to find it before it has an impact so it seems mm. like he is all about protecting this thing that he created again in his dorm room that has now got more than two billion users oh, wow but but he and he says that he's sorry and that it was his mistake so now the big question is after two full days of getting uh, having to talk about it, right? What does he do? What does he do when he gets back to Palo Alto? Well, I gotta say, uh, despite the fact that he has sixty-six billion dollars, I'm not that jealous of the mission ahead for Mark Zuckerberg because that is a <laughs> that's a difficult feat to pull off. How the heck do you disseminate real information from false information without silencing uh, the voices of the people? Let's move on to Paul Ryan. Uh, number one, I know you're there. You're on Capitol Hill. You're in D.C. You're on the, on the front lines. Were you surprised that Paul Ryan said he was not going to seek re-election? It was surprising that it happened today because I sat yesterday with some of the Republicans who are tasked with helping Republicans keep their majority in Congress. And they said, we expect 
to maybe lose some seats mm-hmm. in some districts where certain things are going on. Tax reform is not as popular. But we do expect the Speaker of the House to stay here. And he's been mm-hmm. out there and he's already given us $40 million to help all the members. And so hmm. there was surprise in that it happened today. Not necessarily surprise, especially some of the stories that have been coming out about the interest maybe that Leader McCarthy or Whip Scalise could mm-hmm. have in the job if it became available in the last few days. Uh, so the surprise is not necessarily that Ryan left, mm-hmm. especially because he, he seems genuine when he says that he wants to spend more time with his kids in Wisconsin and he's always in D.C. Right. Uh, but it's very unexpected that it happened today. And that's from Democrats that I've spoken to as well as the Republicans. Do you get the, you know, it's funny, um, I was talking to some more of my uh, liberal friends, and some of them were happy that Paul Ryan was stepping down. They kind of saw it as a victory, but I I, I warned them, you know, the person who's going to replace him, like a Steve Scalise, a Freedom Caucus guy, much more in line with Donald Trump, uh, do you think the left is maybe a little misguided with celebrating the departure? Well, what's interesting is I spoke earlier today with Claudia Tenney, a Republican from upstate New York, who has a very, very tough re-election battle on her hands. And she said, people in my district don't care, or, you know, she doesn't really think that they care about who the speaker is. They care mm. about stuff in the district. Right. And it's, of course, the the oldest saying in D.C. is all politics are local. Right. And when you've got 435 different contests and very few competitive, even mm. this year when Democrats are talking about a blue wave. Right. And, Republicans are trying to stop it. It's not clear how how big of an impact he's going to have in some of these races. When it goes, and to, so yeah, so, right. So anybody celebrating it, it might be premature. I, I would I would say so uh, as well. When it comes to this so-called blue wave, uh, obviously we saw what happened in Pennsylvania 18. Um, of course, Connor Lamb certainly not to the left. He's not an extreme leftist by any stretch of the imagination. We saw what happened with Doug Jones, another fairly moderate person. Uh, do you think that the Democratic Party, what's your sense? Do they, do they really feel as if the midterms are going to be this, again, so-called blue wave as, as being uh, as as is uh, is being discussed right now well it really depends on who you think the leader nationally of the democratic party is and in fact there's a Mm. really interesting it's not it's not a house race but in ohio there's a perfect microcosm going on with this and the democratic primary for governor where you Mm. essentially got a split between obama and sanders bernie sanders wings of the party obama's side would be represented by his former cfpb chairman richard cordray and then Mm. the Sanders wing would be represented by Dennis Kucinich. And so, you know, this this race is seen and a lot of people in D.C. are starting to pay attention to it because uh, Dennis Kucinich is somebody who's been around forever. And Richard Cordray is somebody who's got all the deep pocketed friends in Washington, D.C. It's seen as, you know, look at that and see who the voters in a swing state go for on the Democratic primary side, because, you know, that could reveal whether or not in swing states candidates take a progressive turn or if they try to run like Connor Lamb, where he says, vote for me, 
I don't know if I'm going to support Nancy Pelosi when I get there. Right. You know, I, I'm more of a more of a moderate. You know, I mean, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Chuck Schumer, obviously these people, I believe, are anchors around uh, the um, the ankles of uh, a lot of these politicians. You have to distance yourself from them in many ways, like Connor Lamb did. And of course, the uh, he'll be up for reelection in November, and that the the Pennsylvania 18th district is gone. Basically, it no longer exists. Um, do you think there's more division right now within the left or the right? Again, going back to Paul Ryan bowing out. Out. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of more moderate Republicans getting the heck out of Dodge. And there may be more to follow mm. because Paul, if Paul Ryan is leaving and you're a moderate Republican who thinks to yourself, well, if the Speaker of the House doesn't know if he's going to want to hang around, if you know we're not going to be in the majority or if his seat's in danger, then I'm getting out of here. Right. Uh, but it, it's really tough to tell. Everybody, th- this is a completely people are still trying to figure it out in D.C. because a lot of these Republican members of Congress were not supporters of the president during the primaries, and a lot of them were very tepid backers of his during the election. But right. then once he won and his agenda becomes your agenda, right. uh, they got to figure it out. And so Republicans are figuring that out still, some of them. On the Democratic side, they are really still just trying to figure out how they win. Right. Where, you know, what kind of a candidate? What is the message? Do we want to run against tax reform? Mm-hmm. Is that going to win for us? Do right. we want to run for health care? Do we run against Trump? Right. What do we do? And so uh, there there are degrees of it within both parties. And again, because, you know, they've only got a year and a half of uh, the president who right. has completely turned everything upside down, especially for a lot of these guys. Uh, who have been here for a long time. Well, just one more question. I'll let you go. And again, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, When it comes to Paul Ryan, do you think his legacy is tarnished with this $1.3 trillion uh, omnibus? I mean, my goodness, uh, they're saying in, uh, in, uh, our deficit will be $33 trillion bucks by 2028. Uh, it, it'll be, it'll, it's uh, expected to be 20, $21 million, um, in 2020. I mean, what do you think Paul Ryan's legacy is? And do you think he accomplished what he wanted to accomplish in Washington? Well, he was famous for being a fiscal hawk. Right. That's part of the reason that Mitt Romney added him to the ticket in 2008. But it's there was not a whole lot of talk about that today in Washington. The mm. talk instead was, okay, well, he got tax reform through. Uh, there may still be some fixes to this budget uh, that they passed that conservatives really hate. Uh, but more of a legacy item at least in conversations that I had with a couple of members, uh, would be he, just like Speaker Boehner, has not been able to repeal and replace Obamacare. And that is something that propelled Republicans to office in Washington, D.C. for the last decade. You don't think it's enough that they got rid of the individual mandate? It, Obamacare, it's the, the Affordable Care Act is still the law of the land, right. so that is mm-hmm. going to be something that a lot of uh, – if if there's one thing that would be considered unfinished business, I don't right. know that there's a lot of talk about the debt. But again, things move so quickly, and Republicans think that tax reform is going to generate so much extra money right. for the Treasury over the next couple of years that the CBO – and their number crunchers 
mm-hmm. are not properly calculating for for what could be coming. Right. Uh, but again, you know, it's not just the tax reform. You got the new tariffs, and nobody knows what's going to happen with right. that. And there could be military action happening in the Middle East. Yeah, that affects growth and prices, and yep. so. A lot of uncertainty. Thank you so much for joining us. Peter Ducey, correspondent for Fox News. Really appreciate it, brother. Great insight. All right, I am Ben Kissel. We'll take a quick break and come right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel back here with you. Hope you're having a fine Wednesday evening. Uh, A lot of stuff we've unpacked so far in the show. Coming up in the next hour, I'm going to speak with a sex worker, uh, Nadia, about the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act. Um, Very controversial. A lot of unintended consequences with this act. Of course, Democrat Kamala Harris and Blumenthal uh, are the ones who proposed it, again, under the guise of stopping uh, sex trafficking. However, there are a lot of unintended consequences with that that could hurt the exact people that this bill says it's there to protect. It's known as SESTA. That is the bill. Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act. So make sure you stick around uh, for that. Uh, great conversation with Peter Ducey. Really appreciate him coming on. I want to play this sound here of Steve Scalise going back to Paul Ryan. Of course, again, won't be seeking re-election. This is what Steve Scalise had to say about it. He's a good friend, and I think, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's a uh... No, I think it's important that he uh, that he's going to be talking later today. And, you know, in the end, uh, we got to focus on keeping uh, keeping this majority because we're doing the things that we were elected to do to get our economy back on track, uh, working with President Trump. And again, I, I've, I've enjoyed working with President Trump and we've gotten a lot done, but there's more we need to get done. And of course, Steve Scalise, as Peter Ducey alluded to, may be the next Speaker of the House. Of course, the man's gone through quite a bit. He was uh, shot. He spent many, many weeks in the hospital, had quite a large um, uh, round of applause when he made it back uh, to Capitol Hill. I'm not personally a fan. I find him to be a little bit socially conservative, and I uh, don't agree with all the policies. But nonetheless, um, when it comes to the Republican Party, when it comes to the new speaker, if they are able to hold on to the majority, Steve Scalise has aligned himself very closely with Donald Trump, certainly closer than Paul Ryan did. Again, I'll play some more sound from Steve Scalise. Look, the people around the country that support Republicans for the House and Senate and ultimately for the White House, they know what's at stake. They know what Nancy Pelosi would do as speaker. And look, you could go back to 2008 when Barack Obama got elected and Nancy Pelosi was speaker then. Go look at what they did. We're trying to unravel that mess still today from Obamacare to Dodd-Frank to so many other things that wrecked our economy. All right, everyone. I am Ben Kissel. When we when we come back, we'll be discussing SESTA, the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act. Be right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel back here with you. Hope you're having a fine Wednesday evening. I want to switch gears a little bit here and talk about SESTA-FOSTA. This is the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act. Of course, what could be wrong with that? That's something we all want to do. However, this law, uh, this legislation is very vague, very broad, and might end up hurting the very people it says it wants to help. Joining me now is a sex worker, Nadia White, is with me. Nadia, thank you so much for joining the show. Hi, then. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, uh, Nadia, how, what are some of the unintended consequences of this legislation, um, in your opinion? Um, well, 
I'm sure that it has the right heart right. into it, but a lot of the things that are going to be affected by FOSTA, um, like online um, advertising right. that's easy to get to and affordable for sex workers is being taken away, and that opens up a whole new, whole new can of worms. Right. Because yeah. what people don't realize is when you take away someone's income like that, um, instead of protecting people that are being sex trafficked, it's going to end up forcing a lot of sex workers onto the streets mm. or in unsavory situations with pimps right. or, you know, and putting them in the face of danger with a lot of online ads. You can screen clients. Mm. You can ask for references. Um, there's databases like uh, the Erotic Review, where people can leave comments about providers and/or clients. Right. Um, it just it, it takes a lot of the safety net that we have yeah. in our community. Well, can and, you explain a little bit, just as far as uh, Backpage was getting quite a bit of uh, of press lately? Uh, how does a sex worker now, or how did they previously, before SESTA-FOSTA, um, how did they navigate the world? You're saying it was through advertising on these kind of platforms um, that are now going to be banned or illegal. And, uh, in, and in that process, you would find out if a if a potential client was dangerous in the past or maybe unsavory. Uh, is that right? Yes, um, different services like Backpage, uh, Arrow's Guide, The Erotic Review would be able to put sex workers, whether full service, fetish oriented, or what have you, um, in more direct contact with the clients or ones that have been screened, like The Erotic Review um, and certain full service sites where clients need to submit certain information about themselves. Right. Now it opens up the doors to the girls being cast, girls, uh, trans, uh, male uh, sex workers cast out in the street. And that's really going to hurt the trans community, mm -hmm. uh, sex workers of color, um, and just anybody that's going to be a lot more vulnerable. Yeah, I, I, on this week's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, my political show that you can find on the last podcast network, I interviewed Sam, a transgender sex worker, and he was saying um, that the it's skewed when it comes to the uh, statistics on who is trafficked. Have you Do you have any insight into this when she says, uh, or he says rather, that um, that a lot of times police officers, detectives, the folks who uh, arrest sex workers say, hey, just admit to being trafficked, and then we'll let you off easier. It's not a big deal. Have you heard anything like that? Um, not me personally. I can't really give any information in regards to that question. Yeah. When it comes to so when it comes to your life specifically, I, I know you do some cam work. Uh, you're also an incredible uh, competitive eater, which I have to have oh, you on and you. talk about that at some point. Uh, you you are a jack of many trades. But when it comes to you personally, how is this legislation going to affect your life and your income? Well, as far as people that do cams, um, a lot of models now. Um, due to all the free porn and mm -hmm. whatnot, also have turned to producers. So now it's going to anything um, 
Google is going to be more flagging about the types of content that people can send back and forth. Right. I do a lot of custom videos for clients, mm-hmm. and I do use certain venues like Google Drive to transfer the finished product back and forth. Hmm. Um, also, monetary uh, apps like PayPal right. um, or Crackdown on anything, even just regular modeling-based. I've had my PayPal account frozen before hmm. and so have several other models that I know sometimes freezing up to thousands of dollars for them. Have you found throughout the community a certain chilling effect here, given this legislation? And also, I want to uh, ask, how do you feel this has also been put forward by Democrats, by a lot of left-leaning folks? What do you... It, it doesn't seem like sex workers have anyone advocating for them. No. And um, to use a term that you and the rest of the last podcast used, uh, we are the less dead, yeah. and the 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 whole world does not care about us. But of course, they want to use our services. Right, right. Which is completely unfair. We re- that's why the whole community, whether you are a model, your cam girl, uh, your full service, your dominatrix, we all band together. We're we're concerned for you know ourselves, but also our community. Um, There's really not a lot of people sticking up for us, and I appreciate that you're bringing this issue to light because it's not – where does this stop? Exactly. Because this is taking away free speech. Exactly. This will eventually affect every single American. Absolutely. Uh, and going back to what Nadia said regarding the less dead, it's a term that's used when police officers investigate the death of sex workers. Uh, I had a chance to interview Rod Demery. He's the detective who stars in the investigative discovery show uh, Murder Chose Me. And what they would u- what they used to do on the body bags of human beings, maybe the Green River Killer uh, was the culprit, whoever it might be, they would write DNI, which stood for do not investigate. Uh, So these sex workers have really been, that's why obviously they're targeted by individuals who want to do them harm. And the the safety net that they had, uh, ironically enough, is now eroded with this. Also, Nadia, I want to ask, have you heard anything? I know there's a lot of politicians out there in Washington, D.C. that use sex workers, uh, that that uh, that, that finance them. (laughs) Have you heard anything about that? I know there was a there's a currency out there. One company uh, is offering twenty five thousand dollars for a uh, for sex workers to just say the names of the politicians who voted for this bill and how hypocritical uh, of them to do so. Right. I would love for that to come out, but I have not heard anything about that. Nadia, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. Uh, unintended consequences. Uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I do agree with what you said at the top of the show, at the top of the interview. I, I, good intentions may have been here. You know, they, of course, we all want to stop uh, sex traffickers and we want to step uh, stop people from being sex trafficked. But the question is, is this the right way uh, to go about it? Thank you so much, Nadia. Do you want to plug your your website or Twitter? Um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Nadia White Triple X. My website is clubnadiawhite.com and my competitive eating channel yeah. is youtube.com slash clubnadiawhite. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nadia. I really appreciate it. No, thank you, Ben. All right. And yes, check out Nadia's competitive eating. It's like crazy. She's better than that guy, Man vs. Food, by the way. 
Adam Richmond, he never finished the food. Uh, Nadia really does a good job. She actually is able uh, to compete in these competitions and usually wins. Um, all right. Well, that's just a little bit of insight into uh, what's happening regarding SESTA. I think it's a conversation we have to have. Obviously, again, uh, sex work, it's a on the books. It's a, it's a criminal act. Uh, and because of that, there aren't a lot of rights given to these individuals. Uh, but my ultimate concern is is safety. You want people to be safe and you want individuals to be able to make a living because this is America and capitalism reigns. All right, everyone. I am Ben Kissel. We'll take a quick break and come right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel back here with you. Hope you're having a fine Wednesday. All right, well, let's get to this story. It's obviously huge news. Uh, the FBI raided the offices of Michael Cohn. That is a uh, lawyer for Donald Trump. He's the one who paid Stormy Daniels the $130,000 in hush money in October before the election. Uh, now we have a situation where James Comey, throughout this Russia investigation, stumbled upon some information that he then passed on uh, to the FBI, uh, and that caused the FBI agents to raid the home office and hotel of Donald Trump's personal lawyer they sought communications evidently that Trump had with a uh, that Trump had with Michael Cohen and others regarding of course now the extremely infamous access Hollywood tape we know what happened on that tape because of this there has been some speculation that Donald Trump might have had it He's done. He's over dealing with Mueller. He's over dealing with Rosenstein. And he wants to fire him. Now, of course, as we learned, as Donald Trump learned when he fired James Comey, well, it might not exactly be politically smart. So we just don't know what Donald Trump is going to end up doing. Of course, he's reactionary. Uh, he plays it, uh, you know, uh, he, he, he really goes with his instinct. He goes with his gut, uh, for better or for worse, when it comes to these decisions. So who knows uh, what happens with uh, does a tweet uh, fly out of his phone and uh, into the world and we find out Mueller is fired that way? Of course, he does have the right to fire him. Here, let's play some sound of Sarah Huckabee Sanders talking about this. They told me, I've asked, they've said that it's Rob Rosenstein oversees special counsel and only he has the power to fire the special counsel. Uh, again, we've been advised that <clears throat> the president uh, certainly has the power to make that decision. Um, I can't go anything Sorry, beyond that. All right. So what is this whole thing about? What's this warrant about into Cohen's uh, office? Which, by the way, I mean, the, the client privilege is very difficult to circumvent. So the fact that they were able to get a warrant to raid this guy's uh, offices and hotel and house, that's Significant. Uh, the warrant is the first indication that investigators suspect there was an effort to suppress this Access Hollywood tape. Another source familiar with the matter confirmed to CNN that agents sought information regarding the Access Hollywood tape as the New York Times first reported. So, again, oftentimes what we see with these political scandals, it's not the scandal itself. It's the cover up. Did he learn nothing? Has Trump learned nothing from uh, Richard Nixon uh, and uh, Bill Clinton? Uh, obviously, the cover-up is really where you find yourself in uh, in a political landmine. And that's why a lot of individuals, Trump supporters, don't want Donald Trump to testify under oath. Because even they say it's difficult for him to tell the truth all the time. He's got a... Uh, 
imagination on him when it comes to how he views the world, uh, to put it kindly, and they don't want to see him perjure himself and perhaps find a way towards impeachment because of that. Let's play Chuck Schumer here. He's talking about uh, he's talking about how interfering uh, is not a good idea. It would be a disgrace. Of course, kind of stealing the words that Donald Trump said himself regarding the uh, raid on Cohen. He, he says it's a witch hunt. It was a disgrace. Uh, he's treated unfairly. And to that point, I can't recall any other administration having events like this happen. Now, does this solidify Donald Trump's base when it comes to their disdain, dislike for the FBI? Donald Trump loves having an enemy. He loves having a combatant. And you wonder if the FBI is just the perfect opponent for him to continue to have that base of support he has clung on to throughout this first year and a half of his presidency. Let's play Chuck Schumer's talking here. President Trump said the raid was a disgrace. I say to the president, Mr. President, you have it wrong. Interfering with the investigation would be a disgrace. Calling it attack on our country is a disgrace. What matters is the rule of law. In this country, no man is above the law, not even the president. Mr. President, your comments were the disgrace. A lot of grandstanding there, a situation where, you know, again, the political back and forth, what does it all mean? Uh, you know, it's obvious that Chuck Schumer has a um, uh, he has a uh, agenda that he's trying to push forward when it comes to discrediting uh, Donald Trump's response to the raid. Uh, and naturally, that's not to be surprised. That's not surprising whatsoever. Obviously, here in this midterm election year, uh, politics are heating up, to say the least. Let's continue on with more Chuck Schumer. If the president is thinking of using this raid to fire special counsel Mueller or otherwise interfere with the chain of command <clears throat> in the Russia probe, we have one simple message for him. Don't even think about it. The warrant itself also tracks very closely to information already known about the efforts by Trump's team to suppress negative information about Stormy Daniels. Uh, you know, now this this alleged uh, sexual encounter, it takes place in 2006. Uh, Donald Trump has denied it. Uh, you know, it's it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility, to say the least, uh, that this interaction happened. And again, you do wonder if they hadn't sought out or hadn't uh, given her the one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. If this story is it more than just a salacious splash on the front page of the Daily News, or the New York Post. Maybe the New York Times does something with it. Maybe it doesn't have the sticking uh, ground that it does now because, of course, we have information uh, of the 130000 bucks being given in October. The campaign was still active. Was this campaign finance? Was this a violation of campaign uh, finance? That's a very large gray area. We don't know, but certainly uh, it is something that is being looked into. Chris Coons uh, says firing Mueller would cripple the Donald Trump presidency. The way he's uh, dismissed uh, the investigation as a witch hunt uh, has many in Congress concerned that the president uh, may in fact abruptly fire either Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general, or try and fire Robert Mueller directly, which would cripple his presidency. We are simply trying to step up as Congress and take action. <clears throat> I'm going to be urging uh, Judiciary Chairman Grassley and Majority Leader McConnell to take this bill up promptly. It does seem like it would be political suicide. 
I don't see why. I, I was on Russian television talking about this with Ed Schultz uh, last week. I don't see uh, Donald Trump firing Mueller at this point. I mean, again, going back to James Comey, this would make the fallout of that seem like it was a pleasant day in the park. It would be disastrous. Uh, bipartisan uh, anger, rage would be directed at Donald Trump. And it's already difficult enough to try to get anything done. He's not very close now with McConnell. Obviously, we see the situation with Paul Ryan, who now has no incentive to work with the president whatsoever. The little incentive he did have, maybe trying to uh, not alienate Trump supporters in his district, of course, there in Wisconsin, he doesn't care anymore. Paul Ryan is, is free as a bird. He can do whatever the heck he wants. So you do wonder if Mueller does end up being fired by Donald Trump, what does the next two and a half years look like? That's why I don't believe he is going to do it. I do not believe it. But you never know with this guy. Let's play another clip. I think the president's right in the sense that whenever you have a raid on an attorney's office, it should raise very troubling concerns for everyone. I mean, this is a serious problem when someone can't rely on their attorney. All right. And more sound. This is Devin Nunes. We're not going to just hold in contempt. Uh, we will have a plan to hold in contempt and to impeach. To impeach Christopher Wray? Absolutely. Rod Rose. We're not, we're not messing around here. All right. Three sources with knowledge believe that the information sought was not to target Cohen, but was also clearly aimed at discovering what Trump knew, if anything, about these efforts and any potential involvement he may have had keeping the information from going public. You wonder if his uh, colleagues, if his close associates gave him uh, plausible denial if they allowed him to not necessarily know this information. I mean, right now, Donald Trump has said that he was not aware that Michael Cohen gave $130,000 of his money, of Trump's money, to Stormy Daniels, which, my goodness, I'll tell you, if my attorney gave away $130,000, paid someone $130,000 on my behalf, and didn't tell me, I'd be raiding their office. I'd freak out. That's a heck of a lot of money. So who knows uh, what, we'll fi what we'll find out here uh, as this investigation continues. Let's go to Paul in Boston. Paul, thanks for calling in, brother. What do you want to say? Good evening, Lou. What a salacious and what a scenario we're looking at. I know, possibly. dude. So, so, Lou, just let's get the facts briefly. Southern District of Manhattan, the warrant came out of that area. The a summary of facts presented to the person that was served the warrant described wire and money and banking issues from years prior. Right. Uh, the fact, the, right, yes, sir. And this is the other big point. Uh, campaign finance laws are very specific. And when an attorney has what's called a high-profile client, which was publicly stated the disclosure and agreement was signed and paid, that's very common. That has nothing to do with campaign money private before he was president. That has two separate areas, sir. So what do you think the fallout's going to be for all this? Well, it depends. Uh, remember, um, when Congress, 25 percent of them paid off the similar matter, if they go after him for the Stormy Daniels thing, mm. they're going to open up a can of worms. Yeah. Uh, if Cohen, if Cohen did banking and wire fraud violations, that's technical and clerical, they'll call it. They're not going to seem it's not going to seem criminal, but it's definitely worth checking. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you for the call. Paul from Boston. Absolutely. Uh, this is. 
there's been a lot of news this week. I have to say, we live in a time where every week I'm like, there's a lot of news this week. But this week specifically with Paul Ryan, with what happened with Zuckerberg, and now with this raid that occurred earlier this week, I mean, really out of nowhere stuff. You never know. Every Sunday I lie in bed and I'm like, what is it going to bring today? What I mean, what's tomorrow going to bring rather? What's this week going to bring? Uh, hopefully, hopefully good things. Uh, but then sometimes, of course, uh, it can go the other direction, specifically if you're Donald Trump, I'm sure he was not thrilled to wake up in the morning uh, and hear that his attorney's office has been raided. All right, everyone, I am Ben Kissel. We'll take a quick break and come right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel here. Happy Thursday. Almost a Friday. Nearly done with the week. Hang in there. We'll get through this together. We got a bunch of stuff to get to. We'll continue on with the uh, Zuckerberg conversation here. Rush Limbaugh came to the defense of the Zuck, said that people shouldn't put so many things on Facebook, and then he wouldn't have all of your information. So we'll get to that. Uh, Also, we want to hit on uh, what's going on again with Paul Ryan. Uh, Evidently, Washington, D.C. is so bad, so toxic. So juvenile, Paul Ryan would rather spend time with teenagers, his teenage kids. Who knows what his future is? This guy, Paul Nealon, by the way, is going to most likely be replacing him uh, as the Republican candidate in Wisconsin. He's going against Randy Bryce, Iron Stash. Uh, Randy Bryce can be a little bit annoying on Twitter, but I guess who can't be, huh? Uh, This Paul Nealon guy, I mean, he was kicked off of Twitter. He's a white nationalist, a white supremacist, so I don't know uh, what's going to happen there with that seat. I think Grandy Bryce has a heck of a chance of stealing uh, that that seat and uh, contributing, being a little drip of water in this blue wave. But first, we got to get to Syria. This is a change of heart, a change of policy. A change of mind coming from Donald Trump. It's interesting now when it comes to Syria. A staunch anti-interventionalist. Donald Trump now saying, hey, I might be willing to go in, send some missiles the Russians' way over there in Syria. They'll be big. They'll be beautiful. They'll be smart. Despite the fact he has said that he wouldn't do that in the past. I don't know what it is with the month of April. But it was last year, around this time, April 7th, where we sent the 59 missiles over to the airstrip in Syria. Maybe people just get going after the new year. You know, you kind of relax through uh, through January, you know, kind of get your uh, get your wits about you. And by the time April hits, you're ready to go to war. John Bolton, very new to this administration, national security advisor. And I know Mr. Bolton quite well when I was producing over in 2016 on the show Red Eye. R.I.P. John Bolton is one of the nicest guys I have met. He's funny, uh, charming, initially wanted a job with the Trump administration, but I don't know if this is true. However, I like to believe that it is Donald Trump didn't hire him because of that mustache. But now Donald Trump apparently desperate enough for top talent that he is willing to uh, overlook the stash just above the lips of John Bolton. When it comes to being a hawk, Wow, they don't really get more hawkish than John Bolton. Of course, we also have Mike Pompeo now, Secretary of State, much more hawkish. And if uh, Donald Trump gets his way, we'll have Gina Haspel there, that he's listening to her. 
uh, head of the CIA. So he's surrounded himself now with much, much more hawkish figures, certainly more hawkish than Steve Bannon, without a doubt more hawkish uh, than Steve Bannon. And perhaps those individuals who are chirping away in Donald Trump's ears are starting to penetrate the wood like a woodpecker and get their opinions through to him. Let's play Sarah Huckabee Sanders today. This is a White House briefing, and I got to say, you know, I, I got some problems with Sarah Huckabee Sanders, but that is a heck of a job she has. What a, that is a waking nightmare. Every single day you wake up and you have to go in front of the verbal firing line of the press. And, of course, I think the press has to do their job. But, my goodness, that has got to take a toll at some point, doesn't it? Here's Sarah Huckabee uh, Sanders talking about how there, all the options are on the table when it comes to Syria. The president has a number of options uh, at his disposal, and all of those options remain on the table, and we're continuing to look at each one of them. Again, a change of plans for Donald Trump, 877-367-2526. That's 877-367-2526. I want to hear your thoughts on this, and I want to talk to the Trump supporters specifically. Uh, Donald Trump tweeting that he will be sending some missiles to the Russians uh, on the Russians' doorstep there in Syria. He's got to do it now, right? Or isn't that exactly what the right demonized Obama for? Obama saying there's a red line if Assad chooses to use chemical weapons. Assad used chemical weapons. You know, it's always so muddy over there, but that was the uh, going narrative. And Obama did nothing. Trump has now said he is going to send some missiles over. Doesn't know when, but it's got to happen. Otherwise, Donald Trump is nothing but Obama 2.0. Here's Sarah Huckabee Sanders. What do you say to the Russian statement that this thing was staged by the White House? Uh, the intelligence provided certainly uh, paints a different picture, and the president holds Syria and Russia responsible for this chemical weapons attack. 877-367-2526. Some people on the right, I was watching a video of Alex Jones. I can't not look at the man. He looks like, I don't know, like a frog that went down to Florida and drank entirely too much tequila and got a bunch of ideas. He was saying on his little live stream that he does on Twitter that he believes the CIA was behind the chemical attack in Syria so that theoretically we're stuck there again. So we can continue this forever war. Again, we're in the longest war in U.S. history. And for what? What have we gotten out of it? Billions and billions and billions of dollars wasted, and, uh, of course, the human cost as well. He's talking about how he believes the CIA might be behind it because the chemical weapons um, may have came from uh, Saudi Arabia. But I, I don't give a lot of credence to that. And we're going to have Mike Baker on, former CIA uh, covert operative. So I'm going to talk to him about that theory. And what do you think about that? 877-367-2526. I just feel like there are other ways that uh, we could convince Donald Trump uh, to stay in Syria if they really uh, wanted to. Here is uh, Mattis, Mad Dog Mattis, talking about uh, the Syrian chemical weapons. Have you seen enough evidence that to blame the Assad regime for this most recent chemical attack? Have you seen evidence confident to make that assumption? Uh, we're still assessing the, uh, the intelligence uh, ourselves and our allies. We're still working on this. 
So Mattis uh, not echoing what Sarah Huckabee Sanders said. He said, "Eh, we're still investigating what the heck happened there. And of course, it's extremely confusing. But what do you think? Is Donald Trump going back on his word? He ran on a platform of anti-interventionalism, being a non-interventionalist, staying out of the Middle East. Let's not forget when he was on the campaign trail 2016, Lindsey Graham and Donald Trump, that was a feud that was better than the real housewives of Atlanta. That was insane. They hated each other, and they hate each other for the most part now. And I use that word hate, I believe, literally. Of course, Donald Trump gave out the phone number of Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham then made a video on YouTube where he destroyed his phone. I don't know if you, that was such a, that was a heck of a show, 2016. Well, right now, Lindsey Graham is very happy. John McCain, very happy. Uh, A lot of the establishment people that Donald Trump supposedly um, uh, despises, a lot of swamp creatures, to use the terminology that they use, are thrilled. How does that make you feel if you're a Trump supporter out there? Let's go to Chicago. Let's talk to Philip. Philip, what's up, brother? What What is our interest in in um, Syria? Yeah, uh, you know, I'll, I'm going to ask Mike Baker that. I try to wrap my head around it. All that I can figure is that we want to continue on having that presence over there, so we can continue to have uh, a foothold on that portion of the world. But nothing. We haven't gotten anything. But. I mean, if we look at our ally, which is Israel, being a neighbor in that region, and, and, and um. of course, Russia saying that Israel was responsible for this chemical attack, there's, there's, there's combating interests. Right. We have to be there to protect Israel's interests. Well, we call Israel's interests our interests. But now we're fighting Russia, and we don't want to get into a gun battle with Russia against Iran and Turkey, it's, it's going to be a quagmire for us because we need Turkey to move around in those areas. So, yeah, um, it is you know, interesting. We, we're in a no-win situation yeah. if we go back and, you know, whatever we so-called trying to do, especially Trump. I yeah. just think he's wagging the dog, actually. Uh, I was speaking with my friend Saman Arbabi, who runs the Iranian Daily Show. He has a couple of fatwas on his head, and he will be murdered if he goes anywhere near there. They're spending, the Iranians are spending around 35% of their GDP right now on military. Uh, The people are starving in the rural areas. That's the reason for the recent uprising uh, in Iran. Part of me says, get the heck out of there and just let Iran bleed itself financially out of business. Well, again, but they got support with Russia. And like I say, other allies, even Syria. I mean, it's their country. You know, so, I mean, where's China? China's like sitting in the back, probably funding most of this this uh insanity a lot of dark uh, money coming through thank you brother appreciate the call um and we got a lot more to unwrap here got to take a break i am ben kissel we'll be right back coming in hot with some leonard skinnard the new hit pop band leonard skinnard ladies and gentlemen wow we should just play this song throughout i mean i don't even have to talk anymore just let van zandt do it um all right everyone we are talking about syria Donald Trump changing his tune a little bit. I'm Ben Kissel. Thanks for joining us. 877-367-2526. 877-367-2526. A lot of talk of the CIA. What's going on here? Let's play a clip here of Mattis. Is the U.S. military ready right now to conduct a counter-retaliatory uh, strike if ordered? Uh, we stand ready to provide military options if they're appropriate, uh, as the president determined. 
You get the feeling uh, Mad Dog Mattis likes a lot of uh, Ritz crackers with sardines on them. That's a, You know, you, you get that vibe. When it comes to the CIA being involved in regime change, I mean, we've done it in Panama, Honduras, Nicaragua, Mexico, Haiti, and the Dominican Republic, mostly in Latin America and the Southwest Pacific. So this is really nothing new. Of course, the 1953 Iranian coup d'etat, I mean, this does happen, and it has happened in the past. And certainly, I think we have to be skeptical of the CIA and and of the FBI. For the longest time, that was much more of a uh, left-leaning consensus that we can't necessarily put all of our faith, all of our trust, all of our belief in these institutions because at the end of the day, they've lied to us a bunch. We tend not to find out until much, much later. You know, it's interesting, last year, April 7th, that's when we sent over the 59 Tomahawk cruise missiles. April 7th of this year, the chemical attack in Duma. Trump is considering now the strike because of that attack. And again, last year at this time, he was still surrounded by the anti-hawks, Steve Bannon, uh, by a lot of uh, individuals who are much more aligned with his policy of anti-interventionalism. But a lot has changed this year. Again, now going with Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, John Bolton. Of course, uh, John Kelly, always kind of more of a hawkish man, but he wasn't surrounded so by so many hawks uh, in the past. The neocon agenda, will they just get their way again? As I mentioned before the break, Lindsey Graham is thrilled. There's a lot of people smiling that were previously frowning at the very idea of Donald Trump as the president. Now they seem to be more on board with his agenda. So we'll talk to Mike Baker coming up here, former CIA covert operative. I'm interested to hear his perspective on all of this. You know, you get the feeling, you know, Donald Trump, you only have so much power as the president, specifically when it comes to domestic policy. You really have more power when it comes to foreign policy. And you wonder if Donald Trump, as he's been marinating in power now for a year and a half, year and some change, if he's getting more comfortable with the idea of utilizing the world's strongest military. You know, say what you want about the guy, and I certainly have not been a fan of a lot of what he's done, but he hasn't taken us to war. And a lot of people thought uh, a different administration would. All right, I am Ben Kissel. we got Mike Baker. When we come back, we'll be right back. On the road again. Just can't wait to get hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel with you. Willie Nelson, he'll never get off the road, man. I got to see Willie before he goes. I know it has to happen at some point. I, I just still don't believe he's ever going to pass on. I really don't. Got to see that living legend. Last of the outlaws. All right. Well, speaking of outlaws, we got Mike Baker with us, former CIA operative. Thank you so much for joining the show, man. No, of course, Ben. I will say this much. What? Uh, the most disappointing concert I've ever been to yeah. was a Willie Nelson concert. Well, I think um, I know that you're a pretty I mean, straight edge guy. Kind of dialing it in right now. Yes, I, I do think he might just be on speakerphone and maybe in an office somewhere, and he calls it a concert. But <laughs> were you on the right substance? I think you got to get into Willie's uh, mind space. <laughs> No, it was, it was, it was interesting, right? I mean, I, you know, I've I've been a, a huge fan of his and 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 uh, for a long time, yeah, a long time. I mean, going way back, and and 
you know, so I was really excited about it. And I, but I was also trying to be pragmatic and realize, look, you know, the guy's 110 years old and, and it is what it is. But yeah. it was more, I think, you know, just the, the lack of, of, uh, uh, I don't know. I just, I just had a feeling like he was dialing it in. And yes, it was, only it was, a, it was a, it was a huge disappointment. Let's put it that way. Only you would strategize how you're going to react to a Willie Nelson concert. I'm going to be pragmatic. <laughs> well, you know, you got to have an operational <laughs> game plan for everything. I know you do. Uh, so let's get into it, man. Uh, we got these chemical uh, attacks in Syria. The first question I have to ask you because we're hearing this conversation happening, and I want to hear your thoughts. Did the CIA do it? The, a lot of folks on the right, Alex Jones, some conspiracy theorists are like the CIA caused this so the neocons can send us into uh, or get us deeper into Syria. The forever war continues and so on and so forth. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, I, you know, Alex Jones is in the same mindset as Willie Nelson, right? I don't know which of them smokes more weed, but uh, <laughs> no, look, you know, it doesn't matter what I say, right? Because people are going to the, the people in that crew, you know, like the people in that yeah. group. Um, with the tin foil hats, they're not going to take those off long enough to, to, you know, consider any other opinion, particularly one from somebody who worked there at the outfit uh, right. for all those years. So, you know, it doesn't really matter. But I can say no. Look, the serious Assad doesn't need anybody else's assistance mm. to do horrible things to his people. He and before him, his father have butchered more people than than you know you can count. Mm. And so the idea. That I mean, I get it, right? Because it's the same sort of conspiracy line that you hear in a lot of ways. You know, sure, the CIA was responsible for the drug, you know, uh, epidemic, and oh, look, the CIA did all. Yeah, of course, you know, great. Hey, it's a, it's, it's entertaining, and it's, and you know, there's a certain group of people that will never shift off that position. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it does me a little well, good to say no, but I, I think it's absurd. I think a lot of people are going to that. Uh, sort of um, idea because they don't know why, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this, what benefit would the chemical attack have for Assad? I mean, he has to know, going back to what happened last year with the 59 Tomahawk missiles sent his way, he has to know there's going to be retaliation. Uh, what benefit did Assad have in doing this? Well, first of all, that's a, that's, that's a, a one-event precedent for retaliation uh, on, on these events. That's you know, they've they've used chlorine uh, gas uh, a handful of times when there was no retaliation. They've used sarin when, you know, there was, of course, a red line that wasn't met. So the precedent overwhelmingly has been the, that the international community doesn't take any action. Mm. Uh, but why would he do it? Well, this is going to sound awful, but because it works. Mm. Um, and if your goal is to uh, dislodge a group of, of rebels who you haven't been able to move out, of their last remaining urban stronghold. Look, you know, a handful of hours after this attack, what happened? The rebels gave up, mm. and they they agreed to move out. Uh, this they, they, so you, you know, I mean, part of the reason is is because from the Syrian military's point of view, you know, this works. Right. Um, and so, so you know, it sounds awful to say, but that's that's the reasoning behind it. Well, you know, I don't I'm an anti-interventionalist on many, many things. Um, when it comes to us uh, going and having military action, sending big, beautiful, smart missiles, as Donald Trump has said they would be, yeah. how is that going to solve anything? Do you think that that's the well, right approach? Here's, here's, here's the thing. It, yeah, the real world is not the world of black and white and here's right. your solution and everything. But the real world, you have to stand for something. Yeah. At, at some point, you would think, right? I mean, maybe you can go through life and not stand for anything. 
But you have to have some principles. And I guess my, my opinion, and it's, oh, it's one person's opinion. So, you know, great. There's other opinions, and I, I, you got to listen to all of them and then come up with a decision. Right. But from my perspective, if, if you can't take a principled stand and say you can't stand by and do nothing while a, a nation gasses its own people, you know, and, and it kills women, children, and, and, and men uh, through the use of chemical weapons or nerve agents, then I, you know, where's your, where's your, what principles do you have? Well, I mean, it, you know, it's great to say, well, we're not going to, my principle is not to intervene. Well, okay, great. If that's your case, then say so. Say that you don't mind living in a world where we take no stand against the use of chemical weapons and, and nerve agents uh, against uh, innocent civilians. Fine. But, which, but at least be clear about it and say that. Which, of course, that, was you know, what uh, Obama was demonized for immensely uh, after Assad crossed the red line. And he was promised uh, Obama promised to retaliate. And of course, he didn't. And he was demonized. Uh, extensively by the right. Do you think, uh, you know, Lindsey Graham, uh, you know, John McCain, obviously they're much more interventionalist. Now we have John Bolton in there as national security advisor, who I know you know. I think, as a matter of fact, you might have been on Red Eye together. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, no, we've we've done we yeah we've done some things together, and uh, we we were we actually toured in a in a '80s cover band for several years. Oh no, kidding! Uh, Bolton and yeah, Baker. I like that. it. Yeah. Singer songwriters. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that Donald Trump is starting to listen to more of the neocon voices? Um, well, uh, you know, it's, that's a really good question because it's hard to get inside his head on any given day about, yes. you know, where he stands. And, uh, you know, and, and look, I, again, I didn't vote for him. Uh, I think there are some things that have been going on that are good, and there are some things that have been going on that are not. Right. And, um, you know, you have to be pragmatic about anybody in that position. But I think but I think that, uh, honestly, yeah, I, I don't know is it's, it's the answer to that question. I'd be speculating as to who he's actually listening to on any given day. But here's, here's, here's my mm-hmm. point. We know a handful of the facilities where in the past the Syrians have, have manufactured chemical weapons. You know, you've got to take an, uh, an appropriate proportional uh, uh, response. If, you, if, you, if the intelligence, and again, you always want to confirm these things, right? So right. you want to confirm, um, you know, to the degree that's satisfactory to you and your allies that, you know, this was the case. If you well, confirm that intelligence, right. then take, an, uh, take a proportional response. Right. And to your point, what does it solve? Well, it, okay, fine. Realistically, it's not going to shift Iran and Russia off their position. Mm. Uh, but it, at least you're taking a stand and saying you can't, you can't do this. And well, maybe if you deliver a strong enough response, that message at least gets across. What's the standard? Because, you know, I go back, I'm uh, very, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very cautious to trust a lot of these people and these institutions because, of course, we had the reason that we went into uh, Iraq in 2003, WMDs, uh, Saddam Hussein is about to use them. None of that was true. Hans Blix came back empty-handed, but the lie continued and we went in there. What is the standard to prove that this is actually um, – these chemicals are actually being made in Syria? Yeah, in, in, in a simple sense, it's it's – the standard has to be, you know, multiple sources. So you don't ever want to go with a single source, which is, you know, to some degree what happened in the, um, you know, the uh, move into Iraq in the right. early days. Uh, so you want to have multiple sources, um, technical collection, human sources, uh, liaison reporting, uh, firsthand reporting. Uh, you've got to have enough to corroborate. And then, look, the world doesn't operate like a like a born movie or, a, you know, a uh, – um, 
the Tom Clancy movie. Right. You know, you don't always get 100 percent proof, but you get a sufficient body of evidence, just like you do in a, in a you know, in, in a case. And right. And you make a decision at that point, you know, right. and, and there's a lot of deliberation that goes into that, whether it's, you know, the previous administration, this one, the, you know, or whatever. You know, people don't see it. But there is a tremendous amount of, of, of back and forth that goes on with something like this. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of voices that are heard. And I know that people may not necessarily believe that with the Trump administration. But, yeah, between the intel community, the military, the Pentagon, uh, the National Security Council uh, and, and others, there's a lot of back and forth over this. So I would like to think that aside from President Trump's tweets about, you know, the big beautiful missiles, which should stop now. You know, he should not be tweeting about this. Right. Um, but there will be deliberation, so, I believe, that, you know, that will allow for, if we're going to respond, an appropriate response. Right. And I would say now at this point, because of the tweet that you mentioned, we have to respond. This is his red line moment. Uh, he's really kind of backed himself into a corner here. What does it look like? So let's say we respond, uh, perhaps a similar missile attack to just around this time last year, maybe a little bit more. What does that how does that shift um, uh, foreign policy and how does that shift uh, geopolitical affairs specifically regarding Russia? Well, it won't shift Russia from supporting Assad. I mean, that's not going to happen. And and nobody, I think, who would be involved in this decision would believe that would be the end result. It won't shift Iranians off of supporting them or supporting Hezbollah through that, you know, what they've been doing and influencing and propping up Assad. But I think that uh, what it will do is it will perhaps just recalibrate so that the next time there is consideration uh, of the use of chemical weapons, that that will not be uh, the course of action taken. Well, and that's a, that's yeah. that's good. That's a good result. Again, it doesn't solve the bigger issues and the bigger problems. Right. But you know, the the, the world is a lot messier than. You know, just, you know, either or. Especially that part of the world. Well, you talk about how uh, in the White House there's a lot of deliberation, a lot of debate, and I'm sure uh, within the Assad regime they have a lot of deliberation, a lot of debate. Do you think they, Assad specifically, do you think they um, take into account what most likely the response will be from from us, from from the Trump administration, and they just say, well, we can deal with that. Uh, we're going to move forward with the chemical attack. Well, it's not. A, I mean, that's that's the thing. Look, the, the reason why Russia is culpable is not because Assad gets on the phone and calls Putin and says, Putin, do you mind if I drop some chlorine gas or, you know, sarin on, on my population at this particular moment? We're going to fly over helicopter. Is it OK if we kick a barrel out the back of it? Right. Um, so that's not happening. The reason why he's culpable is because he could stop it. He could prevent it. Uh, I guarantee you if Putin or his, his, his lackeys sat down with Assad and his lieutenants and said, you are not going to use chemical weapons. And, and and that's it. Mm. And we're telling you that. Then he wouldn't do it. You think he, so you think Putin has that much the, power in the there? The fog of all the military operations that occur, the fog of act, daily activity. There's not some sort of conference between the you know Assad and Putin and, and Khomeini and Iran about what they can right. or can't do on any particular flyover of a rebel stronghold. But they're culpable because they. Don't bother to stop them from doing it. Well, and go, they could. Yeah, going to Iran just really quick. Thank you so much for uh, for joining the show again, uh, Mr. Baker. Um, what do you think? What's going on? Their economy is collapsing. Uh, the farmers, the folks in the rural areas are now extremely upset. Of course, uh, the previous uprising, it was more of the urban uh, individuals who were upset for social reasons. And now we have economic reasons. What's Iran's role in all of this? And how can they sustain uh, 35 percent of their GDP being spent on military? 
military with no money coming in. Right. Well, I mean, you look at North Korea when you talk about a crazy out of whack, yeah. um, you know, allocation of resources. You know, they're, they're starving their people in order to, to, you know, build up a ballistic missile and nuclear weapons ability. So, you know, the, the, the Iranian people over the years have shown a pretty remarkable uh, ability to suffer. And, mm. and, you know, there have been moments in time in, in the recent past where we thought perhaps there would be an uprising. And, and there were uh, to some degree, but it, it always came down to, you know, look, the clerics have, you know, a very tight control over the, the people and the economy. Right. Um, and they've been able to, to make that happen. And sometimes they do it through propping up this idea of a, of a moderate uh, leader, which is just nonsense, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and you know the clerics are still in charge, and they and and they don't intend to change that. They've got more influence in that region than they've had in modern times, and so mm-hmm. you know from their perspective, things are working even if the economy is is heading south. Yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's nice to talk to a globalist and a neocon, Mike Baker. How many times you can't paint me with that broad brush? That's terrible. How many times do you get called a globalist on Twitter on a daily basis? Uh, oh my God! No, no, got, not, you know what? I'm not. I'm a, I'm a small. You know me. I'm not no, I know. I'm, I'm just, a small government guy. I'm oh being God, satirical. Like Landered. I'm being satirical. I know it. Uh, no, uh, absolutely crazy times uh, that we're living in. Later, right? Thank you, brother. Take I care, appreciate brother. it, man. Mike Baker, everyone. Uh, he is just uh, one of the more principled people I have met and uh, always just such a great guest on television. Check him out whenever you can. All right, everyone. This is Fox News Talk. I am Ben Kissel. We'll take a quick break and come right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel back here with you. You can watch this show streaming live on Facebook. Just go to Facebook if you're still on it. Search Fox News Radio and you can watch the show streaming live right there. Some comments regarding the conversation we were having last hour about Syria. Dale Kane on Facebook says, how about spending money here in America? Stop the nonsense of spending money in American blood fighting never-ending wars. Michael chimes in, says, regarding uh, uh, just assassinating Assad, he says, decapitate this brutal regime. Uh, and, of course, is uh, Dale comes back and says, Michael, then you end up with another Libya. So there it is. Absolutely. What we saw in Libya, a total nightmare, uh, com- complete and utter collapse, and a current hotbed for terrorism. Uh, uh, Gaddafi was not a good guy. Uh, by any sense of the, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but you know what, uh, they have a right to have the leaders that they choose in those nations, and if they choose Gaddafi, then they get Gaddafi. I want to move on here. House Intelligence Chairman Devin Nunes, he's got a little spat going, I would say, <laughs> to say the least, with Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, who evidently met with the president. Uh, they're trying to uh, mend the fence a little bit. Of course, there's been some speculation. Will Donald Trump fire Rod Rosenstein? Will he fire uh, Mueller? Again, I, I don't see that happening. Uh, but nonetheless, House Intelligence Chairman Devin Nunes, uh, with his dispute with Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein and FBI Director uh, Christopher Wray, uh, looks like they're trying to de-escalate the tensions a little bit after Nunes was given access to the document that kicked off the FBI's investigation into the Trump campaign and Russia. Here we have a clip of Devin Nunes, Representative Nunes, this was on Tuesday, uh, talking about how getting the documents, he's going to get the documents one way or another. 
we are going to get the document. We are going to get the two pages. So they can either cough them up now or it will get really complicated starting tomorrow night and we'll have to take all the steps necessary in order to get the documents. We're not going to just hold in contempt. Uh, we will have a plan to hold in contempt and to impeach. Nunes had been threatening to hold Rosenstein and Ray in contempt as we just heard and to potentially impeach them if the Justice Department doesn't, didn't cooperate with his committee amid stepped up congressional Republican criticism of Rosenstein as president. Donald Trump eh, thinks about firing the guy. What do you think? 877-367-2526. That's 877-367-2526. Do you think Donald Trump should fire him? Or maybe perhaps, uh, you know, have somebody else be the hatchet man. What do you think? 877-367-2526. Do you think Donald Trump should fire Mueller? What would that do? The, it seems as if there's an overall consensus that it would cripple the president, uh, it would cripple his presidency and make life much more difficult than it has to be. But as we are seeing now with the raid on Michael Cohen's home, uh, hotel, office, uh, this special counsel is really spider webbing out into much larger territory. Of course, the Cohen. Uh, raid was evidently to get more information on the infamous Access Hollywood tape and, of course, uh, figure out what the heck was going on regarding the payment to adult film actress Stormy Daniels. Let's play another clip here of Representative Jim Jordan. He's on the Ingram angle. That's an angle, and then Laura Ingram is in it. This is him. This is Representative Jim Jordan talking about how it's a small step in the right direction. The people want answers, 877-367-2526. Right. Small step in the right direction, but, uh, you know, there's still redactions in it. And, and sort of, you know, sometimes I just go to the fundamentals. Why is it that mm -hmm. folks in the, the Department of Justice get to see unredacted things, but members of Congress elected by the people of this great country can't see them. We're the ones elected the by the people. I wouldn't leak. Uh, what I know is the American people want answers, and you can't get answers to the American people to important questions that deal with their fundamental liberties if you don't have access to the information and to the documents that are that are pertinent to the to the investigation. Evidently, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein was called to the White House for a meeting with the president today. Uh, this happened, obviously, as a lot of people are wondering what the heck is going on. Rosenstein, who is Attorney General Jeff Sessions' deputy and who was appointed by Trump, was spotted leaving the West Wing this afternoon, though a White House official played down the meeting's significance. The official said, quote, Rod Rosenstein met with the president at the White House regarding routine department business. 877-367-2526. What do you think uh, should be done here regarding Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein? Should Jeff Sessions just get rid of the guy? I mean, obviously he has the power to do so. Or again, would that reflect so poorly on the president that it uh, disables his ability to govern whatsoever? And as we're seeing, uh, it is, it's not been an easy road. It has not been an easy field to plow when it comes to Donald Trump attempting to navigate Washington, obviously, uh, no longer the novice that he was. Uh, but certainly, I think it was a wake-up call when he got there and he realized, oh, wow, you don't just get to do whatever you want. Of course, again, that's domestic. Foreign policy, perhaps uh, he likes the idea of being able to get a couple of things done 
uh, the way he wants to get done regarding Syria. We also have the situation where James Comey, he's got a book out. Wow, of course he does. He's going to be making some cash here. The new book coming from James Comey is A Higher Loyalty, Truth, Lies, and Leadership. There are a couple of takeaways here uh, that are uh, that are interesting, specifically when Donald Trump talked to Comey about the Russia dossier. Of course, there's some salacious details in there. I don't, I don't want to get too much into some of those salacious details. Um, but nonetheless, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about uh, regarding... Uh, regarding a situation where Donald Trump and two uh, ladies, uh, perhaps he paid for those uh, ladies, did something uh, in, uh, in the privacy of their own hotel room. Nonetheless, uh, uh, Donald Trump said it's really hurting Melania's feelings and he doesn't want that to be discussed, even if, you know, even if uh, she believes one percent of it's true. He was uh, quite upset about that. Here's a promo clip coming out. George Stephanopoulos who, of course, is a massive partisan for the Clintons. He worked for Bill. They they know each other quite well. Uh, This is a promo clip of James Comey talking with George Stephanopoulos. How strange is it for you to sit here and compare the president to a mob boss? This Sunday night on ABC. Are there things that you know but haven't said that could damage President Trump? James Comey. And to those who say you should have brought Hillary Clinton before a grand jury, Exclusive interview everyone will be talking about. Was President Trump obstructing justice? Should Donald Trump be impeached? Stephanopoulos, (laughs) Comey. Is it a boxing match? Christine, what is that promo? I love the drum pounding. (laughs) James Comey, Ben Kissel. Whoa, (laughs) the power of the Stephanopoulos Comey interview. (laughs) James Comey eats a donut. Powerful stuff. I mean, uh, I'm interested to see it. Of course, James Comey equates Donald Trump to a mob boss in this scenario, uh, or in this uh, interview, rather, which is, uh, you know, I, I I understand, I suppose, where he's coming from, uh, I guess, in that. This is Alan Dershowitz's response to Comey saying uh, that, indeed, Trump is a mob boss, and this is Alan Dershowitz's response. This was on Hannity. I mean, it really proves the point of my book, Trumped Up. You can find evidence to create or manufacture crimes against anybody if you're determined to do it. That's what's wrong with the special counsel, because they come in with targets painted on people's back. And people like Comey and people like Mueller are going to find crimes, whether they have to go and try to find a technical violation of banking laws on which they can hook pornography stars or things of that kind. Absolutely. If they want to find something, they will find something. And it's actually uh, fascinating. They haven't uh, been able to get anything quite yet on Donald Trump. We'll see if it happens or if it doesn't happen. I know there's some people uh, who speculate intensely on that. I'm not going to go down that road. We want the truth and the facts here. Let's go to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Tim is on the phone. Tim, what's up, brother? How you doing? I'm doing good. It's it's funny that you pointed out George Stephanopoulos used to be in with the Clintons. You do realize Trump was in with the Clintons back then, too. Yeah, he was I mean, at their wedding. Or they were at his wedding, rather. right? Yeah. Exactly. But you know something, as far as Comey is concerned, you, I mean, can you blame the man for trying to cash in? The man no. Lost his job. Hey, it's America. I want Stormy to have some money. I want James Comey to have some money. That's the whole, that's the greatest thing about this country. 
So my question is, why do you guys hate Comey so much? Well, there's. I mean, a, I mean it's not on. so much me. I don't represent a, a lot of the voices here on Fox News. I'm a little bit more of a moderate when it comes to that stuff. I, I think that James Comey, uh, he is hated by many people on both the left and the right. Of course, reopening the Hillary Clinton email investigation a couple of weeks before the election, and so on and so forth. I think he's become sort of the figurehead, the face of, again, going back to the rhetoric that's used, the swamp creatures. He's sort of become uh, the the leader of what people believe to be this so-called deep state, uh, you know, obviously someone who has been a lifelong, um, uh, you know, member of the of the of these institutions that are very secretive and things like that. So there's a lot of reasons that people do not like James Comey. As a matter of fact, this is Joe uh Nova. he is on Hannity. This is what he had to say as far as James Comey being a dirty cop. Uh, first of all, it is now clear that no matter what James Comey says about the president of the United States, which are disgraceful comments by a former FBI director, and he has besmirched <clears throat> forever his term as FBI director, what we now know and have known for almost two years is James Comey is a dirty cop. Oh my. He is a completely dirty cop who was compromised from the very beginning of the investigation into Hillary Clinton. All right, there it is, Tim. That's that's there's your answer right there. Here's what I don't here's what I don't understand. Even the average citizen knows if you're sitting on the side of the highway and the cops are writing you a ticket or if you're in court, <clears> criticizing <throat> the cop or the judge is not gonna go well. Yeah, it probably doesn't so help your get, case, no. <laughs> Brian, I don't get why every 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 judge or every person that goes up to Trump, he openly criticizes them. I mean, uh, you're pissing these people off by doing that. Well, he's got a lot of power. Thanks for the call, Tim. I appreciate it, brother. Cedar Rapids, beautiful place. Uh, yeah. You know, Donald Trump, of course, he criticized the uh, the Indiana judge there regarding some immigration policies that Donald Trump was putting forward, saying that the guy saying the guy is uh, of Mexican descent, so he can't weigh in on this, can't be the judge of the case. A lot of stuff happening. Um, but I see your phone call there in Lake Bluff. But let's get it. Let's take a break first. And uh, then we will come back and we'll talk more about what's going on with James Comey's book, uh, Deputy Director Rod Rosenstein. A lot to unpack here. I'm Ben Kissel. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel back here with you. We're discussing uh, Rod Rosenstein, James Comey, uh, uh, Rod Rosenstein, uh, James Comey. Uh, Rosenstein had a meeting today with Donald Trump. Now with me on the phone, a man who knows quite a bit more about this uh, subject. Uh, Fox News producer for the DOJ, Jake Gibson, is with me. Thank you so much for joining the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Absolutely. So uh, what was this meeting all about with Rosenstein and Trump? Well, what we've been told is that, uh, you know, it came as a surprise to us to learn that the deputy attorney general was at the White House. But the way Mm -hmm. the DOJ officials explained it was that it was a pre-planned meeting uh, with uh, that Rosenstein went over there with some FBI officials and they had a meeting about um, document production, about, you know, Goodlatte and other congressional committees. Um, good, good Chairman Goodlatte of the House Judiciary Committee, you know, is asking for many, many documents. Right. And they're over there to discuss that uh, with, among others, White House counsel Don McGahn. But we learned later that he also met at the time when I was asking DOJ officials about it. They were unsure if he had met with the president. We learned later through our uh, 
our colleagues at the Fox News White House unit that he did, in fact, meet with the president as well. Uh, we don't know exactly what was discussed, but I was told when they, he arrived back that, no, he had not been fired. So right. whatever it was, he still he still holds the he still holds the job for now. Was there a lot of speculation that this would be a meeting where Rosenstein would be fired? Well, I mean, once we heard that there was that he was at the White House, immediately that that leads to all kinds of of uh, rumor mills, you right. know. And oh, I wonder what this is about, and is is this the day where he where he gets his walking papers? But it it did not turn out to be that. Um, I don't know that, that Mr. Rosenstein is completely out of hot water as far as the president's concerned. But, as, you know, when I when I stepped out of the DOJ today, he mm-hmm. still had a job. Am I wrong in assuming that Attorney General Jeff Sessions could theoretically fire Rosenstein himself? He could, yeah. yeah. And so why is that at all in the conversation? And if that if it did end up going down that way, do you think that Trump would be a little bit more shielded from the political fallout if Jeff Sessions is the one who actually does the firing? Yeah, I mean, I think that he would be a, a little bit more shielded from the fallout, except there would be those who would say that he obviously did it at the direction of the president. Um, that would be the next logical conclusion that the president enemies would jump to right um but but yes in in theory you know first of all yes the, the attorney general can dismiss the the deputy attorney general the president can can dismiss the deputy attorney general the president and, and his counsel and and people at the white house as well as some people at the department of justice are under the impression that the president can also directly dismiss uh, distri- dismiss special counsel uh, Mueller. Right. There are those who will tell you that he that he cannot. That that is one of those uh, constitutional crises about right. about who is right here and what can be done. What we do know for sure is that Rosenstein could dismiss the special counsel if he wanted to. Right. What is what's the sense there? What's the vibe uh, with the DOJ? Do they? see that potentially happening? Do, you, do, do they feel as if um, the tide is shifting and Donald Trump might just want to end this whole Russia investigation right now and uh, and fire Mueller? Well, I think that like the rest of us, everyone else in the world, the, the people at the Department of Justice, um, you know, it, it's unpredictable what the president will do. Yes. So, so you know, they just like us, they're just not quite sure. I think every day they come to work and they think, well, what are we going to get today? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every day we wake up in Trump's America and uh, nothing surprises us anymore, I suppose. That's kind of a good thing. And I think that they feel the same way at the Department of Justice. You know, they're, they've been, a, this is, they, you know, they haven't been around that long. And President Trump's only been in office, you know, a little over a year, but right. I think to some in the in the Department of Justice, it feels longer than that because the days are long and there's a lot of stress. Yeah, let's move on to James Comey. He has a sit-down interview with George Stephanopoulos coming up here. What are your thoughts on uh, his book, uh, these revelations coming out in this book? Again, uh, James Comey, it is a higher loyalty, truth, lies, and leadership. What are you expecting uh, to be revealed here from James Comey in this book? I think we're going to get a lot of things that we heard before, and we're just going to get more of them. I think we're going to get a lot of of James Comey's personal feelings about and his personal recollections. I don't think we're going to get much more outside of his testimony because I think Hmm. that he has to be very careful to not contradict his testimony under oath. Right. So I don't think that – and he also – he can't reveal uh, classified information. 
So I, I think the, the book could be very interesting, but it, it may have a very high school gossipy feel to it. In the sure. Sense that, you know, I've already heard, uh, read one excerpt where he talks about, you know, Mr. Trump was shorter than I expected. His hands right. were smaller than I expected. These are not these are not uh, top secret issues. This is <laughs> right. you know, James Comey dishing on the president. Right. His his hands were tinier than I expected. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So it might have that kind of Michael Wolf of uh, fire and fury feel to it. That's sort of what you're expecting to come from it. Well, I'm expecting that, that Mr. Comey will be smart enough to not have implicated himself and get himself in any trouble. That there will be a lot of how of, of uh, details, salacious details about you know things he thinks the president did wrong. Yeah. Um, but that he won't go anything beyond. We I don't think we're going to learn a new fact set here. Mm, sure. I don't think we're going to learn new stuff that is you know that is central to the offense against uh, against President Trump. I think we're just going to hear more of little bits more of what we knew uh, about James Comey's right. attack on the president. I want to ask you uh, about if you believe Donald Trump will sit down with Mueller. But before that, I want to get to this uh, new development regarding House Intelligence Chairman Devin Nunes. He got the documents. He got the documents that he wanted. Uh, Rod Rosenstein and FBI Director Christopher uh, Ray. Uh, they appear to be on better terms than they were previously. What do you make of Devin Nunes uh, really winning? Winning this dispute. Well, uh, and look, there are those at the Department of Justice who would tell you that, you know, they have given Devin Nunes uh, low these many months enormous amounts of documents. Right. But there are witnesses that he has demanded upon penalty of subpoena and upon penalty of, of impeachment right. that they have provided to him, and then he hasn't interviewed them still five months later. That hmm. a lot of this sometimes is a lot of fire and fury, and that. Mr. Nunes, Chairman Nunes, had seen this document, this two-page document, which allegedly kick-started the Russia investigation, that he had already been provided this document with, with redactions, right? Right. And then he didn't lock the redactions. So they took more redactions out, and he, and he threatened to subpoena them and impeach them if they didn't take the last redactions out. These last redactions were about a partner country of ours and and the name of an agent from that country. Hmm. And they just weren't going to give that up because right. then they, then that country won't work with us for other intelligence issues. And right. so, you know, they redacted everything except those words, and they brought him over, invited him over to the Department of Justice and, uh, and Congressman Gowdy. And then after that, uh, Nunes and Gowdy did say that they, they, felt, uh, they felt better about it. Right, um, right. I think that they still want to see other things, and I think that they still uh, are not terribly excited about the intelligence which led to this document. Not the document itself, but the underlying facts. The, the steel um, dossier and things like that. Well, things that things that similar to that, yeah. Right. But they think maybe the intelligence in the document is, is suspect. Right. But I don't think that they're as fire and fury and ready to, to, to kind of charge everyone in the Department of Justice about holding these documents, about withholding documents. Um, yeah. Uh, I think they feel a little better about that. What's your sense on sort of this narrative that uh, the FBI is, um, uh, they've had it in for Trump since day one, whether it be the Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, text messages, 50,000, by the way, that's a heck of a good relationship. No one points that out. They must have really loved each other. 50,000 text messages. Is there a, uh, is there a chill effect going on right now in the DOJ have you have you have you sensed anything uh, like that where people are kind of closing their mouth and being tight-lipped about their political uh, viewpoints 
Well, I mean, look, uh, I think there are, you know, far, far and wide, we kind of believe that most people in law enforcement circles are are tend to, to be more conservative, yeah. tend to be more Republican. Right. However, we, we did see with Strzok and Page, and Strzok turned out to be a very uh, influential, influential FBI agent. He was in on the Hillary interview. He was in on the, 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 the investigation for the laptop, the Huma Abedin and mm-hmm. uh, Wiener laptop. Yep. So he was around a lot. And as we see in those messages, he did not care for, for Mr. Trump and did right. not think he should be president. Um, Lisa Page was similar, and she was in the general counsel's office. She was an influential lawyer inside the FBI. Um, yeah. We also know that Mueller's team, Mueller, is said to be a lifelong Republican. So is Andrew McCabe, by the yes. way. Um, however, uh, in that team, the Mueller uh, team right now that's investigating the president, that is stacked with people, with prosecutors, who have given contributions to Democratic candidates, including Hillary Clinton. And Barack Obama, and there are many people uh, in Republican circles who think that, mm-hmm. that 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 deck is stacked against the president, and that that investigation is, is has a political a political bent. Do you? I don't know if yeah. that's I don't know if that's fair, but I do. Right. I, I would submit that that they are right that these people, you know, these are public records. People like uh, like Andrew Weitzman have have contributed to. Two Democratic candidates. Andrew Weitzman is now leading the prosecution of Paul Manafort, and they are playing serious hardball with him. He could yeah. go away for a long time if he doesn't play his cards right. Right. Oh, absolutely. I would not want to be in his shoes, despite the fact I'm sure they're very nice shoes. Uh, yeah, exactly. He's got nice shoes, but you know, if you if you still have all the money in the world, but if you're sitting in you know if you're sitting in Leavenworth. Not much fun. Oh, absolutely not. Do you think, just personally, that FBI, and this is what I argued on television, a little bit more of a left-leaning guy here on this subject, um, do you think that they can hold personal beliefs and still follow the rule of the law when it comes to uh, when it comes to going about their business and being professional? Do you think that 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 can be done, or do you think their personal beliefs are too intertwined and, and they simply can't separate the two? No, I mean, I think that we've always, as a as a country, we've always looked to our, our law enforcement officials as someone who, who can separate those type of things. And I still uh, believe and hope that people can. Right. And when those stories were coming out about the 50,000 emails, and yours truly was breaking a lot of them, yeah. a lot of my friends who work for other networks and other publications would scoff at me and say, what, FBI agents can't have opinions? And I'd say, yeah, they can. I'm just right. saying that these are newsworthy ones, and they're interesting. Yeah. Um, so just lastly, and by the way, I just followed you on Twitter, Jake B. Gibson. Follow him on Twitter. Really some awesome uh, breaking news there. Excited to have a new uh, news source uh, in well, Jake, for that. Jake Gibson. Um, when it comes to Mueller, when it comes to Trump, do you think Donald Trump should sit down with the guy? Well, if I were his lawyers, I would advise him not to right. um, because I think that Donald Trump uh, – I think that President Trump, uh, as they say, shoots from the hip, and right. and you know the, the, these prosecutors are looking to get a uh, a conflict in in something you've said before. You know, the, right? You, you said one thing before, and now you're saying another, and and that right there could lead you down a, a, into legal jeopardy. Right. So if I were Ty Cobb or Jay Sekulow or whoever is advising the president, I would say don't do that. Right. And don't do that at all. So you would say absolutely, totally get that. That's reasonable. Now, however, do you think Trump will? Uh, I think that Trump, I think that President Trump wanted to. I, yeah. It seemed like he wanted to. But uh, I think after this whole Cohen saga, uh, um, raiding his personal lawyer's uh, house, 
right. hotel room and apartment or mm-hmm. an office that maybe that that might have been the end of that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Jake Gibson. Follow him on Twitter. Jake B. Gibson. A lot of breaking news here. Fox News producer for the DOJ. Really appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much. Have a great evening. You too. Um, All right, everyone. This is Fox News Talk. I am Ben Kissel. We'll take a quick break and come right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel back here with you. Thanks for tuning in. What a great show it's been. I'll be back here next week as well. Of course, we have another hour coming up here, but I'll be back next Wednesday and Thursday uh, throughout the entire month. So that'll be exciting uh, to spend a little bit more time with you. I want to play this sound here, just kind of wrap up uh, this whole situation, wrap it up 100%. It'll never be talked about again. (laughs) Um, Michael Mukasey, uh, he was on, I don't know what the, what is this? uh, Is it Brett Baer that he was on? What is the show that Mike, it's a, it doesn't matter. He's a, he's talking about why Rosenstein signed off on the Cohen raid. Here he's discussing that. Why did Rosenstein send the Cohen case to the Southern District of New York? Why didn't he let Mueller just follow through himself? Um, I have no idea. I assume that it, he would have had to have expanded his uh, mandate to include uh, misconduct by 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 the lawyer, and that's going much too far. Remember, what started all of this was. Uh, supposed meddling by the Russians. We yep. haven't had any cases on that. So if he then starts expanding his mandate to include things that are even further from that right. than what we've seen so far, <clears throat> um, that's not really progress in the right direction. And just to clarify, that's the Brian Kilmeade show, Michael Mukasey talking about on why Rosenstein, uh, Rosenstein? We have to get this right, Christine. Uh, Rosenstein. Rosenstein, why he signed off on the Cohen Road uh, raid, rather. More information coming here from Michael uh, Mukasey on the Brian Kilmeade show. This whole thing got started because Attorney General Jeff Sessions recused himself. Should he have done that? Yes, he should have done that because there's mm-hmm. a... There's a uh, uh, I mean, maybe maybe the timing was was somewhat premature, but eventually he would have had to recuse himself because there's a there is a regulation in place that says that if you work on a campaign, you cannot participate in an investigation of it. Black and white. Um, that's what the deputy attorney general is for. Again, House Intelligence Committee uh, Chairman, House Intelligence Chairman Devin Nunes, he was able to get the documents coming from Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein and FBI Director Christopher Wray. It appears as if they're doing uh, better now than they had in the past. Uh, Also, uh, Rosenstein met with Donald Trump. We don't know exactly what was discussed, but we do know he still has a job. This is Lindsey Graham talking about uh, the Cohen raid, and he's saying uh, they probably found something. He's confident uh, they found something. It's about Cohen, not about Trump. Cohen borrowed money against his own house to pay a legal obligation of another person. That's probably not, not kosher. If there was anything about Cohen and Russia affecting the president, Mueller would never have given it to the district attorney in New York. So I'm 100% confident that they found something that reflects on Cohen, not Russia and Trump. Uh, a massive raid once again. 
Who knows uh, what they found? There is some speculation. It was about the Access Hollywood tape. They wanted to get more information on that. And, of course, that ties with uh, the campaign. And that, of course, ties with the Stormy Daniels payment of $130,000. Perhaps they're looking at campaign finance violations. It's uh, muddy water. It's very difficult to uh, really find what is a violation of campaign finance and what is not. It's complex, to say the least. I ran for public office here in New York City. I ran for Brooklyn Borough president. And just our personal experience with the bureaucracy of campaign finance, it is a waking nightmare. I mean, the documents that you have to fill out are so extensive. You have to really mark down every single thing, every single expenditure. And $130,000 is certainly something uh, that would get a red flag. Of course, uh, Michael Cohen was never actually paid out by the campaign. He did ask for the money, but the Trump campaign didn't pay him. All right, everyone. This is Fox News Talk. I'm Ben Kissel. We'll take a quick break and come right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel here with you. I am one hour away. We end this show at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm one hour away from going to Applebee's and having their dollar margaritas. I cannot wait, Christine. Dollar margaritas, they got to be good. One dollar. One dollar a margarita. Five dollars. Uh, are we talking frozen margaritas hey, or are we just you, talking? We're talking a dollar margarita. A dollar so margarita. So it's not going to be like a strawberry mango. Yeah, hey, it's Applebee's. Um, anyway, speaking of uh, drunk, perhaps that's what's going on here. I don't know. I, I want to help out people. I'm a very uh, humane person. I think we need to help out uh, homeless folks. L.A. County is taking an interesting approach by paying property owners to put the homeless uh, in backyard houses. So LA officials are paying property owners to put houses for homeless people in their backyard. In just a minute here, I'm going to be joined by Mark Rayovec. I think that's how I say his name, of the of Venice Stockholders Association. He is uh, for this policy, and I want to talk to him about it. I just want to get more information on, uh, on this and you know, there are some public safety concerns, 877-367-2526. Feel free to call in and we'll talk to you after uh, the interview here. I mean, can you imagine if your neighbor uh, ended up building a home in their backyard and it was there to house uh, homeless individuals? Obviously, people are oftentimes homeless uh, because they might have some, uh, you know, um, mental health issues. Uh, Perhaps they've uh, you know, got some issues with uh, with drug abuse. And again, I want to help out people. I'm just wondering if uh, the backyard of residential homes is the place uh, for individuals who happen to be homeless. Do we have Ryavec? Do we have Mark now? All right. Right now I'm joined by Mark Ryavec. Uh, thank you so much for joining the show. Sure. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So, uh, I'm just reading the article here. It's kind of the first time I'm hearing about this. Uh, give a little background on how this came to be and what, what this actually looks like. Well, I'm, I'm working off of the same uh, press reports that, that you are, sir. Um, but uh, basically, uh, the city is, uh, and the county of Los Angeles are both falling behind dramatically um, in getting our 58,000 people off the street. Right. And they are tossing about looking at almost anything um, that might um, provide a solution. And they've looked to Seattle, they've looked to uh, Portland, um, they've looked at other locations where um, people 
the, the cities have actually paid uh, people to build small cottages in their right. backyards where they have room for them, and, and then they become the property over a period of 10 years of the people whose yards they're built in in exchange for them letting um, someone who's coming off the street or coming out of their car or wherever right. uh, li- live there. And um and now no. you are you're you're a part of this project. You uh, no 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 no. You, um, you I'm with not. the Venice Stakeholders Association, and we were asked by the L.A. Times to comment okay. on the proposal. And um, I I I said, look, this is voluntary on the on the part of the the people who would be getting a free cottage, right? Um, built in their backyard, and they I assume would have a. Uh, veto over whoever it is might get put into that cottage. You know, right. Like any, any landlord, you're going to get to decide. Well, you know, this uh, no, this guy has got a history of mental illness. I don't think I want him in my backyard. So, right. um, but I did raise the question, you know, or that there needs to be some some things addressed in this process. Yes. One of them is you got to have a minimum lot size. You know, some parts, older parts of the city, you have. You know, in my case, I, my my lot here in Venice is only thirty feet by eighty feet. Okay. Um, and um, in these in the older parts of town, it's really not going to be appropriate to add a another structure. Um, the other thing is you you need to maintain the parking requirements. Now um, go into this a little bit. I'm I, I guess I'm a little bit confused. Uh, are individuals who are homeless do they oftentimes have cars? Do they oftentimes have vehicles? Well, imagine um, we have a lot of vehicle dwellers here sure. in Los Angeles. So folks in that category absolutely have cars um, to start with. Um, and you know, I ran a, an affordable housing project for uh-huh. a while. I did a turnaround on one that had 162 units. And one of the things you'll find is that um, as folks get stabilized, they get job training, they get jobs, what's the first thing they buy so they could travel to quicker to work or can go to a better job farther away is they buy a car. So I, I, I think you need to count in, in this market mm. in L.A. where we have really poor public transport yeah. um, that you need to maintain um, the, the parking that normally would be expected yeah. you know, with a one-bedroom or a, a studio you know, cottage. I know that L.A. traffic is a bit of a cliche, how horrible L.A. traffic is, but i got to say the cliche is true. I go down there a couple times a year, and it is every time I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. I forget. It's bumper to bumper <laughs> for miles and miles and miles. Uh, so yeah. this, this, is a, uh, this was approved by the County Board of Supervisors. It's a $550,000 pilot program. i got to ask – you know, I guess sort of the obvious question, public safety, um, if you are a neighbor with someone who wants to have one of these homes built in their backyard uh, to get, I think it's $75,000, it looks like, um, do you have any say in in, in that person uh, building a home uh, for an individual who is homeless? Because there has to be some concern for public safety, right? Um, yeah, I I, I get the I get the point, but the reality is that that same neighbor uh, can, at their own expense, take a loan, and under laws, a law recently passed by the state legislature, are entitled to, by right, build a granny unit called an accessory dwelling unit in their backyard, um, without any attention you know, to this question of who is it eventually is going to rent it, mm. um, so that. There's 
there's little difference in the actual um, uh, right to to build in your backyard nowadays uh, in California because right. of uh, what, what we thought was uh, uh, we opposed that uh, we thought that the city should draft its own rules and set some standards. Uh, so, for example, you don't get something too large, um, but that's again yeah. the, the city missed its opportunity, and the state moved in and, and shoved it down our throat. Yeah. Um, but you're right in the, in this in these these situations with these little cottages that that, that the county is going to build, there is no um, right of a neighbor to say uh, no, you can't put someone back there. I did appreciate though, if you read you know a bit about the article, mm-hmm. uh, it's either in Seattle or up in in Oregon, where the folks that are actually care- building in those, building those cottages is that they said look we 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 talked to the block we talk to the neighbors. We, we aren't going to shove this down anybody's throat, and we're not going to put a lot of them in one location, you know, one per block, for example. Okay. You know, it, it, so, I, you know, again, um, this project is directed at uh, what they call the low-hanging fruit, uh-huh. the folks that are recently on the street because um, they broke up with their girlfriend, and t- together they could afford the apartment, but individually they can't. Sure. Or sure. they had... Um, some kind of a, a medical uh, emergency. Oh, absolutely. And work and yeah. and these are these are folks that, but for that emergency, um, would be in an apartment. Yeah. And those are the so, folks that are the easiest to get back in to know, housing. Yeah. Except we don't have housing at that level um, anymore, or or very much for low income in individuals. Yeah. Is there a yeah. vetting process for? Um, the uh, future occupants of these backyard homes, is there a vetting process to make sure that they are as you, you know, described? It's too, it's too soon to tell, sir. Okay. Um, I, I don't have – there isn't anything in any – this is a pilot. Right. And are they going to – you know, they're going to build those six houses, and then are they going to um, uh, have a vetting process? I mean, clearly the owners, I think, going to have to do their own vetting to some extent <laughs> since they're going to – um, be living next door to this person, much they would if they, you know, build a granny unit and then they yeah. rented it out. And so, the, yeah. Um, and so, sort of a buyer be, beware. Right. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's interesting, uh, you know, from the you, the idea that uh, perhaps um, a person occupying those uh, those homes might be dangerous. But also, I, I guess this opens the door for some folks to perhaps try to scam the system, get some money uh, in their coffers and perhaps not have everything up to code and and maybe um, treat the uh, person in their backyard poorly. Yeah, that's the trouble when you get into these when the government gets involved in this is that you right. need someone that's going to. Uh, look out for both of those things, but they don't get the money. They basically they get it built, and then over at least the model is right. proposing is that over a period of ten years, every year that someone's living there and they're getting rent for it. Right, they're being paid rent. Ten um, percent of the what's the word percentage of the ownership transfers to the owner of the house in front right. of, the, of the underlying property. And I know, so, yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I really appreciate it. Just my last question. I know uh, mm-hmm. the Sanctuary City uh, conversation has been heating up quite a bit. Is there going to be a vetting process as far as citizen uh, citizenship uh, goes, or will that not be addressed? Good question. <laughs> I don't know if, you know, to get on these uh, waiting lists to get public housing, and right. in a sense this is a, is a, a publicly supported program, 
I don't know if um, having uh, you know a citizenship is is part of that process, and that's right. a, that's a, that's a good question. Right. Um, well, I guess we'll have to have you back on when we have a little bit more information. I understand. Yeah, this is this is new. This is just a pilot. We'll see what happens uh, with the uh, with the um, trials with the trial uh, yards here. Thank you so much, Mark sure. Ryavec, for being on the show. Really appreciate it, brother. Uh, of Thank you. The Venice Stakeholders Association. Interesting idea, that's for certain. 877-367-2526. Feel free to call in with your thoughts on this issue. I'm Ben Kissel. We'll take a quick break and come right back. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel back here with you. Some breaking news on the dollaritas, the $1 margaritas at Applebee's. My girlfriend just texted me. They're actually $3, and they are leaving. They have had enough of the $3 margarita. Now they where prom- to? TJI Fridays? <laughs> I really don't know what's the next classy establishment There's a, my girlfriend. Uh, Ruby Tuesday uh-huh. down the street. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, we're talking about James Comey. Evidently, he reopened the Hillary Clinton investigation just a couple of weeks before the election because he was worried that if he didn't, she would be seen as an illegitimate president. Well, I guess he doesn't have to worry about that. Uh, obviously, he made sure that she would not be uh, president. Let's go to Detroit. Marcy is on the phone. Marcy, thanks so much for calling in. What do you want to say about James Comey? Uh, I just kind of think he's a mess. As I told Christine, I think he's a hot dumpster fire. <laughs> I think in his his attempt to be some somehow still relevant or show that he has integrity, it's yeah. he kind of comes off like a kid who's playing, a, playing both parents. Republicans, Democrats, like, no, 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 wait. No, no, right. no, wait. And and he's lost all credibility in his attempt to stay somehow relevant. You I know, don't know. He just seems like a mess to me. He's got his book coming out, obviously. He's going to sit down with George Stephanopoulos. We've played the promo clip multiple times because it is extremely over-the-top and intense uh, considering what the uh, event actually is. Geraldo Rivera says um, he thinks James Comey has a guilty conscience. Do you think that that's a possibility? You know what? That's a good. That's actually. I read on on the Fox News just the app, like they were the the little blurbs from the. And I was like, oh, this is going to be. I think it's going to be much like Clinton's book. I think it's just going to go by the wayside a lot faster than people are anticipating, regardless of how much the Democrats want to keep it. You know, relevant. Well, I don't even know but, if the Democrats. No one is happy with this guy. So I don't even. That's I, true. I, I honestly don't know point. who's buying that's it. That's true. I think he's. He's going to be lambasted no matter how you look at it. Yeah. I really do. I, I completely agree. How much do you think, in your personal opinion, the fact that Anthony Weiner was attached to the final revelations regarding reopening the Hillary email investigation, which I know has been talked about ad nauseum, we don't have to re- relitigate that. How much do you think Anthony Weiner hurt Hillary Clinton's campaign? Oh, a, a lot. And, and to be honest with you, I kind of think a lot of us were wondering when that was all going to come to fruition with mm. the whole, the, you know, everything being printed and transferred onto his computer. Because, you know, I, I think all of us kind of wondered what happened to that. So I think nobody's really surprised that he's back in in all this mix up. Yeah, uh, yeah. it, it's 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 part for the course as far as I'm concerned. Thank you, Marcy. Have a great week or have a great uh, evening in uh, Detroit. Really appreciate uh, the call. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the the salacious.
details of Anthony Weiner uh, did not help whatsoever when it came to um, painting the character of Hillary Clinton. I understand that Anthony Weiner uh, is not is not in a relationship with Hillary Clinton, and obviously his wife. Uh, Huma being, uh, you know, so close with Hillary, I, I do think there was a lot of blaming of women in 2016 for a lot of bad actions of men. And I do want to be fair about that. But my goodness gracious, when people saw just the name Anthony Weiner splashed on the screen, it was a horrible, it was a horrible combo um, for so many people to see. Uh, going back to what I mentioned earlier regarding Geraldo Rivera, he argued this, that ex-FBI director James Comey is the reason why President Trump was elected. 877-367-2526. 877-367-2526. Do you believe or do you um, agree with Geraldo Rivera that James Comey is the reason, which is, uh, as I was talking with Marcy, I don't know who's going to buy this book, A Higher Loyalty, Truth, Lies, and Leadership, because the left is still extremely upset with him. Democrats are still extremely upset with him. Uh, and uh, obviously, um, people who support Donald Trump or, or Republicans in general, they're not going to buy this book. They probably don't care. And now the left, I, I just don't see this book uh, really selling um, at, the, at, the, uh, at the old stands there because, again— who likes James Comey? Uh, this is according to Rivera. He said, I think what people have to remember, particularly liberals and people in the left, is that James Comey is the reason Donald Trump is president. He goes on to say, I believe he did more to destroy Hillary Clinton's candidacy than any other person on earth, which is it's uh, perhaps a little bit hyperbolic. I mean, there was a lot of issues, a lot of elements that played into the 2016 election, of course, as we all know. But uh, he seems to be he seems to be convinced that James Comey, again, ex FBI director, is the reason why President Trump was elected to the highest office in the land. I want to shift gears a little bit here, and I want to talk about this story regarding the National Enquirer. Evidently, the National Enquirer, a, a parent company for the National Enquirer, paid a former doorman about $30,000 for a rumor about Donald Trump. I believe this rumor involves an illegitimate child. The interesting thing is not necessarily that they paid someone $30,000 for a story. That's sort of um, par for the course for the National Enquirer. The interesting component of this is they didn't publish the story. And, of course, uh, Donald Trump is very close with the uh, man who is in charge there at the National Enquirer. And there was some concern here that there might have been a little bit of an alliance that uh, doesn't necessarily live up to journalistic standards. Of course, we're talking about the National Enquirer here. Uh, sometimes they really hit it out of the park. Uh, I believe, as, as a matter of fact, the National Enquirer broke the John Edwards scandal way back. What was that? Oh, when, when was that? Oh, four, 08. I think it was 08. Um, so they do get it right sometimes. That's the interesting thing about the National Enquirer. You never know when it's telling the truth. You never know when it's just, you know, a bunch of gossip, a bunch of rumor with no uh, actual fire there. It can be just a sm uh, just a bunch of smoke. But the AP reported that American Media Inc., AMI, uh, they gave Dino Sajudin, I'm probably mispronouncing 
pronouncing that. It's S-A-J-U-D-I-N. $30,000 to gain rights in perpetuity regarding a rumor the ex-doorman had heard. So if Dino went public with the information or with information about the agreement, he could be subject to a million bucks, a million-dollar fine, a million-dollar penalty. That's according, again, to the AP. Trump's personal attorney, Michael Cohen, told the news source he had spoken about the rumor with the magazine when it was reportedly working on it. He said he did not know about the publication's payment. The Inquirer reportedly decided the rumor wasn't true, although I'm not sure when that stopped the National Inquirer from publishing something before. Uh, But nonetheless, the Inquirer reportedly uh, decided the rumor wasn't true and released the ex-doorman from the contract after the 2016 press presidential election. Dylan Howard, the Inquirer's top editor and AMI executive, said uh, he decided the story, quote, lacked any credibility and decided not to run it. Unfortunately, Dino is one fish that swam away. That's according to Dylan Howard, again, the Inquirer's top editor and an AMI executive. The development follows a report last month that former Playboy model Karen McDougal sued AMI so she could break her silence about an alleged affair with Donald Trump. AMI paid her, again, um, that is American Media Incorporated, paid her $150,000 for her story about the alleged affair and then withheld it from the publication. That is according to the New York Times. So uh, it looks like we had a situation happening when it comes to the National Enquirer, knowing we know that Michael Cohen paid Stormy Daniels the 130000 bucks in hush money. It seems like there was a uh, an effort, and of course, this is a political campaign. This is not the most shocking uh, revelation that's ever come to life. Um, you know, the Stormy Daniels scandal, a billionaire paid for sex. Wow. You know, what? what's next? Of course, uh, these are not the most... Um, uncharacteristic uh, events to occur when it comes to, uh, you know, a billionaire, specifically someone like uh, Donald Trump. He was quite public about his affairs and things like that to begin with. But it does seem as if there is a um, a link here between the National Enquirer, of course, being one of the few papers to endorse uh, Donald Trump. And really, um, they, they ran the story about Ted Cruz. Did Ted Cruz have multiple affairs? I believe they also ran the story uh, where Ted Cruz's father was being accused of, of killing JFK. I mean, really some interesting stories there coming out of the uh, National Enquirer. So you do start to see a picture being painted here of hush money being paid uh, to specifically, in this case, uh, sex workers, I suppose, um, to keep quiet before the election. So that is an interesting story here, and we'll keep on following it as it unfolds. That's really all we know uh, at this point. The FBI reportedly sought documents related to that payment earlier this week, again, when the agents raided Cohen's office, home, and hotel room. Um, All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening again. Back here next week, Wednesday, Thursday. I'm Ben Kissel. Talk to you soon.
You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.